Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! Yes, you're doing a really quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call the Ghostbusters. Super Jackpot! Welcome to Extraplasm Podcasts. It's the only podcast on the internet that wants to see a dancing pizza oven in the next Ghostbusters movie rather than a toaster. I'm your host, Jim Maritato, aka Vink Maniac on the internet, and I'm excited to bring you episode 43. The Proton Pack is not a toy, but it's still pretty fun. Matt Swaim is our guest from, you guessed it, the Proton Pack is not a toy on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, Matt has been creating Ghostbusters content on Ghostbusters prop making, history, and collectibles for the last few years, and he provides some really helpful insights with tutorial videos and other content to help people in the community. Uh, if you've not seen some of his content, he's got some great stuff out there on like how to take apart a HasLab Proton Pack without destroying it, which I find really useful. I'll, I'll talk about this in the episode with him. I certainly have learned a lot from him in terms of how to do things like modify a dancing toaster using actuators because he's made videos showing these things to folks and he's providing a lot of uh, useful insights that might otherwise be buried within the confines of GB fans uh, forums where if you're familiar with where to look, you'll find it. But if you're not, it's a lot harder. So uh, Matt's making some really cool content. It was really awesome to get to know him because we haven't really had a chance to talk before. Uh, we've been in sort of orbiting in the same circles for a while, and we often are in the same live streams on YouTube and sort of posting in the chat at the same time, but we've not really had a conversation one-on-one. So it was really cool to get to talk to Matt this week uh, and to bring that conversation to you because getting to know new people is so much of what Extra Plasma is for. So I'm really excited we get to do that with Matt this week. But before we do, we need to talk about some Ghostbusters headlines. Still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. All in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. Extra plasm, read all about it. Ghostbusters headlines coming at ya. So let's start off with some Ghostbusters production and industry news. And I'm going to call it production and industry because... This isn't really necessarily news that's directly about developments on the upcoming Ghostbusters movie, uh, as much as it's stuff kind of related to what's going on in the industry, related to the writer's strike and the Screen Actors Guild strike, and then some, you know, Ghostbusters uh, tangential stuff involving people we know from the Ghostbusters community. Uh, And so not like there's not like huge news this week about, you know, this is what's going on with the, you know, with Firehouse and we're going to be seeing a, a release date and the trailer is here. Like, we don't know any of that. The strike is still happening. And so I didn't really expect that we were going to see uh, any real quick movement uh, at this point on a trailer or something, because, you know, we finished watching uh, the folks making this movie wrap like what at the end of June and within two weeks <laughs> there was a strike or something. So uh, it may be a while before we see some new updates in the production itself. But there is some news about Braun Creative, uh, the production and finance team based in Canada that helped to bring Ghostbusters Afterlife into the world. Unfortunately, they have filed for bankruptcy in Canada uh, and their CEO, Aaron L. Gilbert, announced that he's taking a step to restructure the company. In a public statement, he said the decision to seek creditor protection was not taken lightly and was adopted with a view to the best interests of the company and its many stakeholders. The last few years have been incredibly difficult for Braun and things have only gotten more complicated over these past months. COVID and the many other issues affecting the media industry the last few years, most recently the strikes, 
have made Braun's ability to continue its existing business impossible. So what does this mean? Well, in terms of like the upcoming Ghostbusters movie, Braun is listed as a potential production partner, but we're not doing like we're not seeing any movie be made in Canada. And Braun is a company in Canada that worked on financing and getting the studio resources together to help produce the movie when Afterlife was being shot in Canada. So uh, will this likely affect the upcoming Ghostbusters movie? Not necessarily. Could it affect like discussions about, I don't know, the residuals or something related to home releases of Afterlife potentially? I don't really know, but I, I can't say here that this means there's going to be an impact on Ghostbusters. I think it's just more important to recognize that you know, a company that decided to do the investing work in a Ghostbusters film um, and that took the risk on it is now sort of in a position where they're going to be filing for bankruptcy and seeking for, you know, protection from creditors. And that, you know, is good for nobody. It means there's probably going to be jobs that get lost and people who get impacted by it. And some of those people may be some of the folks who worked uh, on, you know, behind the scenes and back end production work on Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, you know, just those who may be impacted by this, you know, we're sorry to hear it. I want to say that I think that Braun, you know, was pretty uh, supportive of Afterlife. They've kind of talked about the idea that they may have under the film may have underperformed their expectations on profits uh, for and that's led them to this situation. But I mean, you can also look at the way they've kind of spent money in other avenues. There's a big sort of issue here that's caused them to be in the situation they're in. And most of it has to do with, uh, you know, how the industry itself, like the movie industry, has just been turned upside down by the pandemic. And we're still seeing the residual impacts of that. And then you head into the strike that's happening. So, um, you know, for those who are being impacted by this at Braun, thank you for, you know, creating for being there and kind of producing a picture that we all love. Um, and we hope that this is not ultimately too painful for everybody who's involved. But it does sound like there's going to be some pretty significant restructuring that may go on uh, and that may impact what's going to happen uh, for the future. And similarly sad news, Sony Pictures Entertainment's Props House has suddenly and permanently closed since you last heard from me on the podcast. The LA Times has reported on the closing last week, with the prop shop's final day of business having been Friday the 21st. The prop shop, if you're not familiar, is the 75,000 square foot warehouse that's about three miles from the studio that curates, archives, and leases props to productions both on the Sony lot as well as at other studios. If you need, say, like a 1986 Ghostbusters TV tray and a plaid print couch because you're making an episode of the Goldbergs, you might have turned to those folks at Sony Props, except now you can't. Um, why is this relevant to us? Well, the plan is for a third-party company to liquidate the stock of the warehouse, and it's not entirely clear what Ghostbusters props may exist in that warehouse. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that at some point, like Ecto-1A lives in a shipping container at that warehouse, if you've ever seen Suburban Commando or They Live or some episodes even of Knight Rider, you might have spotted the PKE meter in those particular uh, productions. And that's because the PKE meter is a prop that you could rent. You could lease it for your film. Uh, I'm not sure if you could lease it from Sony, but it's one of those things out there in the prop world that was leasable. Uh, and because this is how sort of the industry works, there are not only productions uh, that are you know in, in work and there's people going out and trying to find different props or build them from scratch, but sometimes you just need to dress a room. And so you need 1970s basement attire. <laughs> and so you turn to a prop shop to get it, or maybe you're, you know, filming a 1950s diner scene. And so you need a jukebox. Where do you get that? You go to the prop shop. So, but at the same time, those can potentially be things that, you know, Sony has in its archives that have been somehow like integrated into the prop sh prop shops uh, inventory, or just maybe are being kept at that warehouse for all we know. So, you know, 
what does this mean for us? It means that we need to watch what might get liquidated because um, if a third party company is coming in to liquidate the stock of the stock of the warehouse and we're not really clear on what is there now and knowing what has been there in the past, there could be some things that go up for sale. Um, and where will that happen? Who knows? Like my money is probably on something like prop store, uh, who may come in and take some of the more higher end items to put them at auction. And maybe they put push other stuff out through other forms of liquidation, uh, where there's something that, you know, if you're getting rid of dishware that isn't particularly <laughs> screen used and exciting, then you might get rid of that differently. But the point is that they're closed. Like they still have the costume shop is still open, but, uh, the rest of the prop shop stuff is now going to be shut down for good. And, and the response, you know, the, the rationale for that seems to be additionally sort of impacts on the industry over time. All of these different prop shops weren't really doing much work when there wasn't a lot in production during COVID. And so that's a lot of lost money over a few years. And so now for additional impacts to be happening, um, you're going to probably see not only studios are going to continue to sort of start to trim fat for themselves, but you may also see things like, you know, a prop shop that they just don't see as having enough profitability um, being liquidated because it's easier for short term games. I don't really know what the uh, rationale for doing this is, but it is something that's happening. It will impact nine workers, uh, as according to the L.A. Times, who will be now be out of jobs uh, unless I guess Sony decides to find them other work on the lot. But um, for what it's worth, we're watching sort of the end of an era, you know, a, a prop shop that supplied things for decades to uh, productions of television and movie productions and it's just gone. Um, and so we'll see what gets liquidated from there. And I'll be following this story to bring you updates uh, because I'm definitely curious to see what happens. In animated Ghostbusters news and sort of continuing a weird trend so far this week in discussing things that are canceled or closing, uh, it seems that Sony Pictures had an animated Ghostbusters feature film planned that would have potentially been released following the 2016 Ghostbusters film. Uh, the Twitter account at Lost Media Busters was the first to report on this, featuring concept art from artist Michael Kerensky's ArtStation page. But for easy reference, instead of digging through Twitter or X or whatever Elon Musk will decide it's called and hastily rebrand next, you can uh, find, don't dig through that confusing social media network madness. Just go to Ghostbusters News to find the artwork and a really good write-up on this. Uh, what's really interesting is that this is a concept that would have been uh, ghostbusting, conducted by ghosts themselves. And the artwork depicts a team of four ghosts and ghouls wearing iconic classic Ghostbusters khakis and carrying equipment that was clearly inspired by the 1984 film. So this kind of also looks like it would have had to set up some potentiality for a multiverse, given that it would have followed the kind of new Coke of Ghostbusters 2016, but takes its narrative notes from the classic Coke of the 1984 movie. So um, there's virtually no chance we'll ever see this rendition of a Ghostbusters project. It's it's dead project for all we know. Uh, but it would certainly be interesting to find out more of what this story could have been. Maybe now that the artwork is out, we'll get some insights. It's definitely um, kind of very cutesy and um, interesting. It's not like a very dark take on the ghost world. It's very bright and colorful. So it's kind of interesting to see what they had in mind. Uh, but, you know, if you want to take a look at this, head over to Ghostbusters News because you can find the artwork there pretty quickly. In Dan Aykroyd News. He was recently interviewed for the Daily Mail in the UK, and while there's nothing to report directly about the project currently known as Ghostbusters Firehouse, our dear old Uncle Dan offered up a few fun conversational kernels related to Ghostbusters. Among them is his declarations that he loves Scotland, put a thousand miles on a car driving around in Scotland during his time in the UK filming on Firehouse, and that he quote, has an idea for a sequel I would set here in the UK, 
There are lots of ghosts and mythical creatures in Scotland. So for those of you who were saying, is the next Ghostbusters movie going to be set in England? No, it's not. But if Dan Aykroyd gets his way, maybe a future one will be. Um, And if not in England, then it'll take place in Scotland. Uh, But with respect to the future of Ghostbusters, he had this odd thing to talk about. Um, he, he wanted to talk about, I guess, or he was asked about what, what he would do if they made another Ghostbusters movie after he passed in the same way that they made a Ghostbusters movie after Harold Ramis passed. And he said, I'm sure that when I pass beyond the veil, they'll come up with a story to incorporate me. And as long as my family gets a healthy fee and it's a good story, I'm fine with that. Um, I think that's great. I think that Dan Aykroyd is obviously would probably, I mean, I can't imagine he would have ever said no to that. What I think is kind of cute here is the notion that he says, I'm sure that when I pass beyond the veil, they'll come up with the story. Um, and I'm wondering if that's like a cause effect relationship. Like if, the, if there's a mentality that if Dan Aykroyd happens to pass away, that begins a new production cycle. Um, I, I by no means do I want to wish that on Dan Aykroyd. I just find it an interesting way to hear him explain that. Um, but I, you know, I think it, this is something to consider that part of the writer's strike or rather the actor's strike is about how representation of actors gets used, um, whether or not you can you know, scan them and then use them in perpetuity uh, with AI performances. And it's kind of interesting to me that Dan is kind of saying now, like, I'm OK with people using me, but you better make sure that you pay my family a healthy fee. Um, and so, um, you know, there's this is one of those situations where you go, are there benefits to having uh, AI in the you know film industry? Yeah, probably. And this is, could potentially be one of them that you could scan Dan now and then if he was okay with signing off on his likeness for another Ghostbusters movie to appear as a ghost um that we could have that it might be also weird for us to do that and people might question whether or not it was good taste but if he's up for it I mean why not so um you know it's but it's something to think about that like that's something that actors are now in the mindset of of like I might get used after I pass and in his case he's like if it's a Ghostbusters movie and if you pay my family well I'm cool with that. So um, I don't want to see Ghost Dan anytime soon. I want him to be healthy and alive and with us and off dancing and, uh, you know, selling people Crystal Head Vodka and having a great time writing up prospective Ghostbusters movies and concepts. Um, So and hopefully we won't see him as a ghost in a movie any time in the near future. Uh, But it is kind of fun to think about the idea that even when he's gone, he will still want to be in a Ghostbusters movie. And I find that um, endearing and adorable. So, and also a little weird, but I digress. Um, And lastly, an official Ghostbusters production and industry news, Jason Reitman announced via Instagram stories this past week that he was going to be screening the preview cut of Ghostbusters uh, that is the work print. It's only ever been shown like at the Show West convention back in 1983. And other than that, it was featured in the Ghostbusters Ultimate Collection box set. Uh, if you've ever watched this, you may know that it's like watching Ghostbusters from a parallel universe with a lot of alternate takes, alternate dialogue choices, as well as some unused and incomplete sequences. Uh, but now Jason Reitman is hosting private screenings at the Alamo Draft House in NYC. And here's your big Extraplasm exclusive if you're listening to this uh, early enough on Tuesday on release day. Those screenings were sold out, but somewhere around 3.30 in the morning, as your favorite podcaster who doesn't sleep was recording this podcast, he happened to notice that um, there are two new dates, or rather two new screenings on July 30th, one at 5.30 p.m. and one at 7.15 p.m. Nobody's publicized these yet. They might have been publicized by the time you listen to this, but if you act fast, like if you're listening now, hit pause, go to the Draft House website if you're in NYC or the tri-state area, get your $18 tickets, and go to the screening. Um, and if, and if, if you are listening this much later uh, and you're disappointed, 
I'm sorry. Download the podcast faster. <laughs> That's my advice to you. Um, but I'll say this. If I had the opportunity to go and do this, I totally would, because this is, a, a, you know, a, a print that has never been seen on a big screen outside of a convention for uh, exhibitors. That was this is like the old version of the uh, the movie convention that comes to Vegas and says, these are the movies that are coming out. We're going to show you things about them and you can invest in them because you're the film ex- exhibitors who own the theaters. And so this was the print that they showed them that was unfinished, uh, that had alternate takes, alternate dialogue, all kinds of stuff. And while you can certainly get it from the ultimate edition box set, like you're going to get an intro in this case from Jason Reitman, uh, cause he's hosting it and then you're gonna get to watch it on the big screen. So if you have the opportunity to go to this for the like low cost of $18 to sit at the Alamo draft house and watch something that you'll probably never get to see on the big screen again, go do it. Act now. Uh, if you are going and you happen to get tickets and you want to talk with me about what your experience was like, I would love to hear about it. Please hit me up on uh, Instagram or uh, Gmail and probably not um, X Twitter or whatever it is, because I don't really know how much more I'm going to use that. <laughs> but um, th- I digress. So that's the big sort of official productiony kind of, you know, related news. Let's talk about toys and collectibles for a few minutes. Um, the big toy news is that. Hasbro may be showing us some new Ghostbusters toys. Um, we turn this, I turned this up uh, through a conversation with somebody in the Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed forum. They mentioned this, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, uh, but this is something that I went and then confirmed from Entertainment Earth. If you go to the Drop Zone section of the Entertainment Earth website, you will find that there's a calendar of events, and on August 10th, there is a 10 a.m. Pacific Time event for a live stream that is being hosted by Hasbro. And the description says there are reveals we want to talk about, but we don't want to cross the streams or streamers for that matter. Set a reminder and prepare to be dazzled. Um, So there's not a direct and oblique reference to we are showing you Ghostbusters toys, but I mean, it's pretty clear that we don't want it to cross the streams Um, means that we're we're talking about Ghostbusters toys. We're going to get something. Uh, I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. My guess is this has nothing to do with the HasLab because it's something that's being teased on the Entertainment Earth website. And Entertainment Earth is like the biggest non-direct Hasbro distributor in the US, I think, if not worldwide, because they supply to pop culture for sure too. Uh, but the reality is that they do a, a lot of distribution to like GameStop and uh, Fun.com and uh, like smaller independent toy stores. So like they're the folks who are like Hasbro is going to supply directly to Target or Walmart, whereas Entertainment Earth supplies to those other retailers. So if they are talking about something that's going to be happening, then it's not going to be specific to HasLab. It's going to be something that's coming to general retail. Uh, It probably also won't be something that's like Walmart exclusive because it's showing up on Entertainment Earth as being something that's being advertised. Um, My guess, honestly, is we may be getting a new set of Kenner Classics figures to uh, sort of ramp up the hype before we get to movie stuff. I really don't think we're going to see movie things at this. We don't even have a title for the new movie yet, let alone a trailer. So, I mean, if we had a title, it would be like, okay, but um, I don't really think we're going to see new movie toys yet. We're not ready to see new characters we haven't even seen in a trailer yet in toy form. Uh, and so my guess is more Kenner Classic stuff. We know from way back at the uh, Hasbro PulseCon video, I believe, in 2020, when they showed us those figures, there was a little like um, behind the scenes, you know, B-roll set of video along with the preview of the figures where we were shown how these figures were sculpted and there was a person sculpting uh, back proton pack Slimer. 
We never have seen that figure since, but we know they were working on it. So that's a thing we could potentially be seeing from this. It's also possible that Hasbro could turn around and like completely throw us a curveball. Don't forget, a while back, we all thought there was going to be some amazing Hasbro announcement. And then they were like, hey, we got the ghost popper. And a bunch of us scratched our heads and went, hey, why? <laughs> this is not something I needed. But, um, you know, I think this is something to be interested about nonetheless. Like we're back in a cycle where we're going to start talking about Ghostbusters toys uh, and getting back to uh, business with that. So um, keep your eyes peeled as more information becomes more available. I will certainly let you know. But Thursday, August 10th, 10 a.m. Pacific, expect some sort of live stream from Hasbro talking about Ghostbusters toys um, that are probably action figures. But I mean, they also when they market action figures, they categorize props in the same way. I really don't think it's going to be a prop, though. I think this is very likely to be Kenner Classic stuff to work us to movie figures just like we got before Afterlife. In uh, other official toy news. If you're a Funko fan, uh, Funko has a new blockbuster rewind vinyl figure that uh, is of Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Uh, this was apparently revealed during San Diego Comic-Con. If you are not familiar with what these are, they are about like three and a half inch tall figurines that go inside of a box that looks like a VHS cassette thing. Um, so you might have known Funko before for selling you figures that came inside of things that look like soda cans. Now they moved on to VHS. <laughs> I don't know, but this, there's a chase figure that goes with it. Um, you can pick this up if it's something that you're into. I admit that I have moved on from most Funko collecting, but you can grab this for $15. There's a product page that's live on Funko.com. I do believe you have to get it there to pick it up. Uh, so if you're interested in this, probably act sooner than later because uh, I'm not really sure how long they're going to offer this for, if it's an exclusive, etc. cetera. Um, in fact, this is a final sale item that says notify me. So guess what, folks? This may not be something that you can get at all as I'm now looking. So if you got one, great. If not, hey, look, I was up to date on like, you know, movie links and things just a few minutes ago where I was looking at stuff at 3.30 in the morning. And now I'm figuring out that you can't maybe buy this thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but realistically, uh, there is a Funko Blockbuster Rewind figure out there. Again, I don't know if it's available yet or if it was available or what it just says notify me on the website. So uh, take a look at that um, and see what you can find out if you're a Funko fan. Way to be prepped, Jim. <laughs> OK, let's move on. Uh, Premium Collectible Studio showed off their upcoming Ray Stance figurine. Uh, if you've been following this, there are a set of a high quality uh, figurines and statues that are being made by premium collectible studios. Ghostbusters news has had some pretty good previews of these over the last few uh, months. And the Egon Spangler that they are producing was first revealed to us, had a really striking appearance and was, you know, looked a lot like the character. Uh, the Ray stance figure has now been previewed and I've been calling him Roy stance uh, because he, he certainly looks like Ray stance from the neck down. Uh, but from the neck up, he looks a le little less like Ray Stance. And I understand that uh, I, I don't think PCS has the license for uh, the actors in these statues as they're creating them. So they're making figurines that are akin to the actors we know and represent the characters more than the actors themselves. Uh, that being said, you can take a look at this on GhostbustersNews.com or you can go to the Premium Collectible Studio website and check out the uh, depiction here. I have to say, like the sculpt is amazing in terms of like the detail on all of, you know, the proton pack, the Neutrona one that the uniforms look like real because they're so well painted and sculpted. 
But, you know, there is sort of an uncanny valley thing going on with the face on this that I think a few people have more than a few people have commented on social media, which is why I'm sort of saying it. And, you know, I'm hopeful that maybe PCS has an opportunity before they get to product that they can make some tweaks to this to make it a little more um, authentic or a little closer to the character folks are looking for, because at a price point of $700 a figure, um, that's might be a hard sell for some folks. Um, that being said, like I said, these are really high quality figurines and the other sculpts have looked pretty good so far of what we've seen. So um, there's a Slimer figure that really looks amazing. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with this. Um, it is something that if you want to take a look at it, if you want to pre-order it now, um, that, you know, you can go ahead and take a look at pre-ordering Egon, I think right now. And we're just kind of seeing the preview of what Ray will look like. So, you know, maybe um, you're going to find out that this will get updated based off the feedback that's come so far from folks, but we'll see. Um, let's talk about some things that are not officially licensed for a couple moments. I want to remind you of two things off the top. One, um, I want to let you know that you should keep in mind that the uh, TCU toys and Phantasm toys offerings are still out there, but will probably be closing up soon on pre-order. Uh, the race dance figure is available from TCU toys that I've talked about in the last few weeks. It's a 3.75 inch minifigure or rather uh, not minifigure at all. It's, it's an action figure. Why am I saying minifigure? Uh, it's, a, it's a three and a three quarter inch action figure, uh, sort of in the style of like a Super 7 figure. And it is part of the TCU Toys Ghostbusters line that they've been producing. Ray is the last figure in the line to be released uh, and shown to us. I'm pretty sure that the plan was to run those pre-orders for a month for each of those figures. And you're about at the end of the month. So if you haven't gotten in on that, you may be uh, chasing the clock and may want to do that soon. And then, of course, uh, Phantasm Toys was on uh, the, the last week with uh, Tony and Brennan from Phantasm were on and talked about their Destructor uh, figure and how that thing is amazing. And I totally am getting one. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's, it's so cool. And it's like a version, a uh, take on Gozer from the real ghost if she was in the real Ghostbusters. But they've also gone ahead and previewed uh, the prototype of their Terror Dog figure that's going to be coming out. So if you haven't seen that, you can check that out on the Phantasm Toys Instagram and Facebook pages. But if you want to get in on the, the destructor figure, my suggestion is probably don't wait much longer than this week uh, because typically those pre-orders are open for a couple weeks and then they close up. So uh, and then your opportunity to get that figure may close. And if you've seen that destructor figure, like that is not a thing to miss out on. So uh, don't forget those things are out there. Something new I want to tell you about that I haven't really talked about in the show before. And I now know why I said minifigures is uh, cut the Kragle. Uh, is a minifigure creator for Lego. Um, and you may have seen their figures before because they did a line of Ghostbusters Afterlife minifigures that would go along with your uh, Ghostbusters Lego stuff. Now they have started to uh, sell a set of uh, real Ghostbusters inspired minifigures that all have uniforms that match the original cartoon figures uh, and have hairstyles that match. And these are really awesome. They come in a set of uh, clamshell blister packs with cards and everything. They're signed and numbered. Um, and so if you want to check these out, you can go and check out Cut the Kragle uh, on Instagram or go to cutthekragle.com. That's C-U-T-T-H-E-K-R-A-G-L-E. Uh, and the price on these is like $132, but I mean, these are individually made, you know, hand-developed uh, minifigures that you're not going to find anywhere else. And they're really kind of cool. So as much as that might be some, I know some people, when they hear the price tag on a uh, custom figure, they immediately gasp. But I will say this, I, I have some of my custom figures I'm investing money in are giving me a lot more joy than the uh, sort of mass produced stuff that comes out of a factory and 
um, is a ghost popper. <laughs> Believe it at that. I'm kidding. But um, I would say if you are into these, if you're into Lego, if you have the Ghostbusters sets that are out there, you really seriously may want to take a look at these because uh, to be able to set your Ghostbusters firehouse up as, as a like real Ghostbusters firehouse is a pretty cool idea. I got to be honest. Um, and a final piece of uh, merchandise news here that I want to talk about, which I guess was official merch, but it didn't fit in my wheelhouse at the moment when I said it. So whatever. Um, let's talk about the Ghostbusters Proton Pack that's coming from Halloween Costumes and Fun.com, or I guess it's just coming from Halloween Costumes.com. But if you don't know this, like Halloween Costumes.com and Fun.com are kind of the same company. They just are a little bit divided out. <laughs> so you can often find the same things on both websites. Um, Halloween Costumes has been marketing a Proton Pack to the Ghostbusters community for the last probably year in preview. And for a while, we weren't sure how much it was going to cost. And we were looking at it, many of us and saying it looks kind of odd because its proportions look a little off. And um, they did some revisions to it and made some changes to it, it seemed over time. And it's now been released. Um, this is a proton pack that is full size. It will set you off, uh, set you back about five hundred dollars. And to be real, um, you would think that for $500, you'd be getting a Proton Pack that has more features in it than the HasLab Proton Pack that costs $400. Um, that's not the case, unfortunately. Um, the Proton Pack that Fun has, or has Halloween costumes has put together, uh, is it's kind of limited in terms of its functionality and it has rotating cyclotron lights and it makes sounds of a neutrino wand uh, that come out of a speaker in the handle of the wand. Uh, but Beyond that, the wand does not light up. The power cell does not light up. Uh, and for real sticklers, the cyclotron actually rotates counterclockwise. And if you've ever noticed this, like there are some proton packs, namely Venkman's that do that, but most don't. Um, so it's kind of an interesting take that this is the uh, the left hand rotating uh, proton pack. So again, this is going to set you back like $500 US. To be fair, you can pretty much always get a 20% off coupon on HalloweenCostumes.com by signing up for with the new email address. Uh, so you can probably get it for cheaper than that, at like $400. But um, I'm going to call this like I'm jokingly referring to this, and this is not to put it down, but I'm referring to this as the Intercontinental uh, Proton Pack. Because whereas Spirit Halloween doesn't ship uh, to many countries, um, and you can't really order a Hasbro pack anymore, except if you buy it, you know, from uh, a third party who bought one before to markup. Halloweencostumes.com does have some pretty good international shipping options. Uh, in fact, if you wanted to buy this thing, you know, in like in the UK and the European Union and Australia, like you can get it there. Whereas uh, getting a HasLab pack shipped to Australia was so impossible that you have probably heard last week that Brendan Pierce had his ship to Tony Taylor. <laughs> and he has, still hasn't gotten it. So um, I would say like if you're an international fan and you're listening to the podcast outside the US and you've been saying, how can I get myself a full size proton pack to work with as a modding platform like this might actually be your best bet, um, even though it may not be the ideal proton pack for everybody. Um, and so, you know, more details about this are going to come out. You can probably see Jason from Ghostbusters News review this pretty soon, I imagine. Um, I know he's been posting videos of it as uh, HalloweenCostumes.com has been putting out more and more videos demoing the product. And so I expect that he'll probably end up with one to, uh, to, to preview for folks because he generally does with these kinds of things. Um, I don't know that I'm going to be picking one up because of its cost, uh, but I would encourage you to take a look at the video review he does when he gets one out. Um, and if you need one, if you need a proton pack and you can't get one from Spirit Halloween for some reason because of where you live, 
uh, take a look at HalloweenCostumes.com because this might actually help fulfill your dreams. Okay, uh, so with those headlines out of the way, let's take a look now to uh, or listen to uh, my conversation with Matt Swaim of the Proton Pack is not a toy. Joining me on Extraplasm Podcast for the first time, and I'm excited about it, is Matt Swaim, who you may know from YouTube and Instagram and other social media as The Proton Pack. It's not a toy. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I sort of told you a little bit about this off air that, like, I've been stoked to talk with you because you were the first person who helped me figure out what actuators I needed for my my Ghostbusters 2 toaster, although I haven't actually installed them yet. <laughs> You'll have to remind so, me what they were because I haven't touched mine, at least the inside of it in a while. And someone actually tagged me on a video on, on Instagram recently who did a better job at his than I did on mine. And I complimented him. It's like, that looks like way better than what I did on mine. <laughs> and so I'm now I'm thinking about going and taking mine apart, watching his as a tutorial as he watched mine as a tutorial into this giant ball of Ghostbusters toaster goodness. Nice. Yeah. Well, I have to say, like, I find that for those of you who were like, hey, you forgot to do the part where you introduce um, what he does. Uh, yeah. I, here, Matt is a YouTube uh, creator. He's an Instagram social media content creator. But from my perspective, he's a person who creates instructional content that's really useful if you're somebody who wants to do like basic mods and stuff. Um, and so, I mean, you do a lot of reviewing of toys and other stuff, too. But one of the things I think that you bring to the community that's very unique and helpful is that, like, if you want to take apart a HasLab pack, you don't want to destroy it. There's a video on how to do that because someone blazed that path without destroying theirs and you made it. <laughs> so, I was lucky that I didn't you break it in the process. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I can um, actually call that video how to do it and not break it now since mine survived me taking it apart. Right. Well, that's how making any video like that goes, right? It's right. just like, I'm going to va- video this. Yeah, and then if it had broken, then you would have just made the title of it how not to break <laughs> your HasLab Proton Pack. And then if you do it, you turn it into a business, you can make it into a tax write off every time you break a has. No, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. (laughs) But um, well, I thank you again for coming on the show. I'm excited that you're here and the chat with you, because I think I think we've sort of like been watching each other post and liking each other's comments and stuff for a long time, but we've never really had a chance to interact much. So, um, yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, I appreciate you you, uh, reaching out. I've been looking forward to the opportunity. I didn't want to invite myself uh, to yours or anybody's podcast, but I've been looking forward to the opportunity to be able to kind of chat in this format, uh, something besides talking to my iPhone and then checking for comments afterwards. (laughs) It's cool to actually have human interaction in real time. I appreciate this because I don't know if you know this about me, but I teach public speaking. And since the pandemic, I do a lot of that online. And so like, as opposed to my students coming into class and, doing it in the room in front of an audience. They now do it on camera. And because that became a popular option, the community colleges here decided that was the best form of engagement and bring more students into learning who otherwise wouldn't have taken classes. And so I have ended up teaching a lot of stuff online and asynchronously. And so I'm constantly coaching my students on like, you need to look at your phone. (laughs) You need to look directly at the lens. I know it's awkward. I know it's weird. Here, take your phone, put it on a bookshelf, then take a little photo of a person you really like and put it right behind the camera lens and look right at that if you forget. So I have a a deep appreciation for how weird 
that is like that feel of I've got to talk to people and I've got to come across like I'm talking to people, but I'm talking to my phone alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I started off doing off camera where I was behind the camera and I was talking behind it. I didn't want to see my face on the first few videos that I actually did. And then I finally kind of, you know, got the guts to be like, okay, deal with it. Stupid. You know, yeah. get, get in front of it, be like a, you know, a real person. Don't be afraid of it. I've done public speaking <laughs> for years and years and it's not a big deal. Um, but yeah, it's, it's totally different. I mean, I'm still not sure exactly where to look on the back of my phone because it's got all those little circles. Right. Um, <laughs> but actually I usually have it, it on, easy. I usually have it on selfie mode. So that's why my videos are never quite the, the uh, resolution they should be because mm -hmm. I'm using the front facing camera anytime that I do a YouTube video, because if not, my head would be halfway off the top of the, the right. screen or I anything I'd be showing you, you wouldn't be able to actually see <laughs> in frame. So that, that keeps at least that part of it, right? Even if the resolution isn't so great. So, but that's the challenge is like, it's weird to say this, but I have had that same experience of having to create content for students. Like I don't do video right now very much. Some people know that I've like made a video once where I um, made some Stay Puff Marshmallow pizza and Jason Reitman liked it apparently um, <laughs> on Instagram, but Score. that was like two years ago. Like I did an RC, an RC trap review, uh, you know, a few months back and did it on my kitchen counter and called it a kitchen counter review or something. And it was incredibly lo-fi and I had like a cell phone tripod and that was all I had. And I totally walked out of frame repeatedly and had to do it several times over. And then my challenge is if I flip it to a uh, selfie mode, then you want to look at what's on there, but then you're not looking at the camera lens. <laughs> like it's so, right. it's this odd glance between the camera lens and then slightly downward to see what's going on. And yeah, um, it's it's not easy to record by yourself. You can film yourself, but having it come across as like good, it's a different story. So good job. This is my point. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, but I think that that's cool because you are doing content too that I think you're like filming in ways that people can do from home. Like, I just want to ask you this really quick. What is your setup? Like, what are you filming on when you make your videos? As far as camera or phone or like the room yeah, I'm like, in? Do you, or... do you film on your phone? Is that yeah, just everything? It's 100% on my iPhone. Yeah. It's like That's a 13 awesome. mini or something like that. I don't even know exactly what it is. It makes sense though, because like I've said this to my students, I've even said this to people who've come on the podcast, like somebody was coming on the podcast and they were like, I'm worried. I need to like get a microphone and get a this. And I was like, no, don't do you have an iPhone? I'm like, yeah, I'm like just headphones <laughs> like for blue over Bluetooth onboard mic. And then so we can talk, just put the phone like up on a bookshelf or stand it up on a, on a desk, you know, whatever it is. And we'll be good. And they were like, mm -hmm. really? I'm like, yeah, this stuff, that thing has been designed at this point to just be like point, shoot, point, shoot. And the challenge is figuring out how to do it alone. Yeah. It's, it's a little production studio. It, it, I mean, when I first started out, I didn't have any of the editing software. It's funny. I before yeah. I started this, um, I kind of went through my videos and I, I ranked them in, in order from the one that has the most views just to kind of see, um, what the most popular is. Cause I don't really go back and look at that very often, but the one that with the most views overall had 17,000 and it's from three years ago. And it was when we lived in a different house and we didn't have a blank wall inside of our house where it would have been like a good background. <laughs> and so yeah. I literally got an old picnic table, went into the backyard 
and I did a tutorial on how to um, adjust the straps or take off and put on the straps on an LC2 frame. Yeah. And uh, it was hit, uh, hit record, run around the corner to put myself in frame, start talking, <laughs> do it in one take, and then turn it off. And I didn't have any of the editing software at all. And I just put it up there and it's been the, the one that has 5,000 more views than any other <laughs> on my channel. And I can't understand why. And like, sometimes I put so much effort into it and I spend an hour or two trying to edit something just to get it nice and tight and the way I want it. And it gets a hundred views and I'm like, okay, whatever. But then something <laughs> that, you know, is like as a rookie, I just put it up there with, you know, no knowledge of how this is going to come across. And it just consistently puts up numbers. I guess a lot of people are trying to change their straps on their Alice frames and nobody else has ever put a video up that showed how to do it. And so whether they're Ghostbusters fans or not, they're going there and they're finding that one of me in my backyard dodging dog poop as I uh, <laughs> fix it on the, on, the, uh, on the picnic table there in the backyard. But since then, we've, we've moved and, and we're in a new house. And, um, it actually had an extra space where I was able to have a collection room and that's where I film now. So in my videos, there's like a couple of different walls where I'll have my stuff in the background and, uh, you can kind of see what I'm working on. Um, sometimes with like the 3d printer and the setup that I have with that, but, uh, it's its own space. Now I can shut the door. I can do a video. I can you know, chat on a podcast like this and, and not yeah. have any outside interaction uh, with kids or, you know, worry about covering something on the wall that doesn't fit for the video that I'm doing. Um, it's, it's perfect for what I need it for right now. So I'm, I'm very blessed awesome. to be able to have a space for this and, uh, it helps, you know, makes it look a little bit more professional, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hear that I'm a, <laughs> I have a very small home office and I had to become like a, my office had to suddenly become like my office during the pandemic because we were all working from home. Right. And when you're teaching and your home office is filled with everything you can see behind me right now, <laughs> yeah. which is like a fraction of how dense the room is with ridiculous collectible garbage, which I love all my stuff, but like there's a lot in here and it's hard to like, be a professional teacher in that context. So I began living by green screen. Like I bought a collapsible green screen right. and threw it up behind me, but I got a deep appreciation for this over the course of the pandemic. And it's something I've watched in your videos that this is a compliment. So I hope it doesn't come across as like back in the day when you started, but like your production quality has increased. Like you can see it over the course of like three years of your content on the channel. But like what starts out is, Hey, I'm filming this video and I'm getting it started. And then I'm going to kind of peek around to, here's an intro, here's like a logo, here's like sound is balanced. And so, um, and I think there's a lot of us who kind of became like self-taught how to do this. We're like, well, I want to make content, but I don't, I'm not going to like audio engineering school to figure out how to make a podcast because I'm in my forties and I have a job. Right. <laughs> so how do I learn how to do these specific things then get them from, you know, from YouTube tutorials, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's your, if that's your experience, but it's kind of amazing to see how you're, content has kind of gotten more and more polished as you've gone. Well, it's been, you know, just kind of repetition, but also asking around, not being afraid to reach out to people that I admire that are already uh, better than me uh, 
in in the medium uh, i reached out early on to alex newborn who i've i've always loved his videos on uh youtube um his channel is lex the robot and he's done mm-hmm. tons of of ghostbusters stuff over the years and i've kind of you know, really followed kind of his method um of how to do the talking to the camera type thing and then uh, also talk to uh jay from geek dad um yeah he he was able to give me some help too and and you know just point me in the right direction it wasn't coaching it wasn't anything like that it was like okay try this video software yeah and you can edit your videos better or whatever or yeah you know reaching out to uh brendan from Baducci studios and say, hey would you be able to do a logo for me and then he whips up something awesome for me and i've had the the uh the intros that that I actually have were actually from uh Christian Jones from the Arizona Ghostbusters. He just made nice. them and sent them to me and said, Hey, you look like you, you could use this to help polish up your videos a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he sent me like three different versions just for fun. That's awesome. Just because he thought it would, it would be a nice thing to do. And so it's people like that that are, you know, just willing to give their time, willing to help out. And um, I always try to remember and give props to those people. Because by no means has this uh, gotten to this point with me just figuring it out. No, I, I hear that. Um, I say this about Extraplasm that um, I'm a very appreciative to the folks who early on were listening to the show and giving me feedback on what was and wasn't working. Um, and one of the most probably valuable pieces of feedback was uh, shout out to J.D. Raymer. He was the person who reached out and said, hey, you should try using this tool and this tool on your audio track. And stop doing so much denoise stuff instead. And I was like, okay. And it completely changed the way this podcast sounded. And then hilariously, people would ask me like, how do you get your podcast to sound like that good from that number of microphones you get? And I was like, J.D. Raymer. <laughs> it's like, that's, right. I, I, he taught me some stuff and I watched some YouTube videos to follow it up. And so I think that's what's so cool about like the kind of work that you're doing and not like the kind of work I'm doing is so cool. But like, I mean that. That fan collaboration that we're like, we are all fans. Like we're not producing things right now that are like, Hey, I'm making content and it's making me tons of revenue because to be clear to everybody, it makes me $0 and costs me money to put out. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's literally a negative revenue flow to have a podcast, but I love it. And part of the reason I do is because of what you just talked about. It's that idea that you're creating something that matters to you and it brings people like into your midst who are not just like, Oh, I appreciate your content. And I want to be a fan of your stuff or whatever, but are people who are like, Hey, I appreciate what you're doing. And I want to contribute to what you're doing in a way that is beneficial too. And I think it brings together collaborative content makers and whatnot to do larger stuff. So, um, that's awesome. I think it's so great that you have like that level of contribution coming into what you're doing on a regular basis. So, yeah, well, you know, I'm lucky to have, you know, and you know, I try to be, um, reflexive on that and people ask me questions and i try to be as helpful as i can be whether it's you know a a little detail about their proton pack or something technical with you know video making or just needing a pep talk on something that they're working on um you know i've had people reach out on twitter and instagram and send me emails and just comment on the videos and i try to be as open and helpful as I can. And if I can't be helpful, I'm honest about it and say, I really don't know how right. to do that. And I think that's to be that uh, transparent and let people know that 
I'm not a huge expert on everything or even some of the things that they assume I'm an expert on. Some of these things are just things that I've learned from reading from somebody else mm -hmm. and uh, or talking to someone else uh, when it comes to the details, like on the proton pack and stuff, some of the stuff that's made it into the videos. I haven't been right. as good as I should have been uh, perhaps on some of those videos. Um, uh, some of them need a bibliography for how much help that I've taken from uh, <laughs> research wise. Um, you know, if you steal from one person, then it's, plagiarism but if you steal from many it's research right <laughs> so when i say i do research that's what i'm doing i'm going on gb fans and i'm finding answers to the questions that i need but a lot of times that's where it really got me started uh on making kind of the tutorial videos was okay i have a question on this little aspect of proton packs whatever you say let's say i've always been obsessed with the little clippered valves Let, let's start with that yeah so Okay, which one is on this pack and which one is on its thrower? Okay, so let's pick the Venkman Hero. Okay, so I can go and I can look at the reference photos, but I don't know what I'm looking at. What is, what is uh, a, a 331 and one's a, a 701? People are saying that theirs are better because they're vintage and... Yours isn't as great because it is a modern one. So how do I know the difference between all those? And so all of the stuff kind of comes up and like, I don't know the answers to all this. And so I, I just kind of start digging different places, looking at uh, the Ghostbusters reference library has been a really big help for what I've done in the videos. And then going back through 15 years of comments and threads on uh, GB fans and just finding the right one where somebody had a eureka moment or they posted something that hadn't been <laughs> revealed before and it's buried 13 years ago in a forum where the right. pictures don't even come up anymore yeah and being able to find that stuff and i was i was starting just to kind of write it down so i would have it in my own possession and i know other people have done that as well just so they can have that fact and so when they can go through their notes and be able to reference that when they need it and I was like, other people are going to be having these questions. I'm going to forget where my notes are. It would be easier for me to just do a video saying, okay, here's <laughs> all the configurations for clippered valves on all the hero packs from Ghostbusters 1. Right. And the response for stuff like that was great because nobody, I mean, people had made the list before. They were available online in different places, multiple places. But when you think of... Like if you're trying to learn how to change a tire or tie a tie, what's the first thing you do? YouTube. You go to Google or you go to YouTube. And usually when you go to Google, it'll show you a YouTube video. And so I was like, well, why not? Since I'm kind of getting my feet wet into the YouTube space and I really don't have a direction for my channel. Why don't I take the questions that I have that I'm finding answers to right. and then as I answer those questions for myself, post the answers, but also post the evidence on how I found those answers. So sure, taking yeah. the screenshots, taking the reference photos and uh, showing the reason why this is the answer, not just because somebody else told me this was what it was. Mm -hmm. And with it being a video format where you can do either video or pictures um, that 
that's, I mean, that's what really set my channel aside and really made it start to, to take off. Um, just with that level, being able to try to help people answer the same questions that I had. I think that that was a really good strategy. There's such a value to what you're doing in that process of going through like 13 years of GB fans posts to go find the, the answer to a question that, and then put it in a, in a place that's more accessible. And I say that not because like GB fans is bad. If you're listening and you're like, I'm on GB fans, I post there. What? No, I'm not angry at that. I promise. <laughs> like, I mean this in the sense though, that like, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of posts on GB fans that go back as old as the bulletin board is. So when you're searching for something, you can't even search unless you remember. Like you've got to come in and create an account to even be like, I want to search the database. And it makes it difficult if you're an outsider or somebody right. who's new and coming in and you want to find out answers to stuff to actually get at it. That search feature has always been janky too on that website to begin with. That and was, I'm not and by all means, I don't, this is, I don't mean to be like AJ quick, your no. website sucks. Like, uh, I mean this in the sense that like, it's just the way that the community norms of that website have been for a long time. And for reasons that were made sense, like of keeping spam out of it. And it was a sort of closed wall, uh, you know, or closed community. You could join it. It was open for anybody to come into, but you had to do legwork. So if you just want to answer questions and you just want to know some facts, You've got to kind of create an account just to get. And for some people, that's enough to not do it. Like, that's, yeah. ah, I don't want to create another account. Forget it. Whatever. I'll go look somewhere else. And so I think that that aggregation of data that comes out of those old posts is so valuable. And I'll give you an analogy really quick. I, a lot of people who listen to the podcasts and who like know who I am, know that I have a pizza problem, meaning that during the course of the pandemic, I started making my own my own pizza. I'm a New Yorker. I live in California. I've lived here now for uh, 12 years. I think I don't remember um, <laughs> 13 years, I think. Yikes. Um, and there was a pizza place near us that strangely enough, they were from Long Island. Like the people who own the pizza place were Long Islanders who moved here and opened a pizza place. And they were five minutes from my house. And I went, that's insane. I can have like they know how to do it right. This is awesome. And then during the pandemic, they closed and I went, OK, uh -oh. this is no good. What are we going to do? And I went, I can go back to trying to hunt for pizza or I'm stuck in the house and I can mail order flour to my house or have it delivered or whatever. Salt, water, yeast, flour. We're going to figure this out. And where I ended up getting all of the info I needed to get as far as I got on pizza making was pizzamaking.com, an old school text based bulletin forum that runs on like the same engine as GB fans. Yeah. It's like. These are people who've been posting about pizza and pizza recipes since 2007 in this same old like format forum. And it was overwhelming. But what I ended up finding was like I could get into that and then I could look at that alongside a few YouTubers who were pulling information out of it. And it was like, OK, these are the relevant threads to go down. I don't need to go down this 25, you know, this 20 year old thread about Chicago deep dish pizza that people are fighting about whether or not you should even eat that. <laughs> like, I don't want to be there. I want to get to where I want to get to. And so I think that's what's so valuable, what you're doing when you say even that you're like, not only do I say, here's the right answer, but like, here's where I found it. I'm going to document the process of like researching this or taking you to the page where you could find it. It's incredibly valuable because it keeps that information alive in for, I think, generations of people who are not as apt to going to dense text forums. Yeah, I've I've. I think I was looking at it that 
my 15 year anniversary as a member on GB fans will be the day that this is supposed to be coming out. So that's, that's kind of kismet there. But um, I've been Michael Scott on GB fans for the last 15 years and <laughs> um, had my own build threads on different op- different things like way before I was doing anything on YouTube. Uh, did some Lego stuff, uh, things like that. Um, obviously followed along with the, the spoiler thread for uh, Afterlife on a daily basis for two years. Yeah. Um, things like that. Um, but it was interesting. There was kind of a time where I, I turned a corner when I was doing a series that really took off called the proton pack detective. And that series, uh, started with me trying to, we, we throw around the term, um, screen accurate. And so people say, okay, if I buy this part, is it screen accurate? Sure. Mm-hmm. And You'll get a collection of parts. You'll put them on your proton pack and say, people ask you, okay, how screen accurate is your proton pack? Oh, well, they'll pull a random number out. 95% screen accurate. But then when you go and you look at it, it doesn't match with all of the little details that can be interchangeable. It doesn't match any of the proton packs from the movies based on how, (laughs) you know, this has to go with this for this to be a Vinkman hero or for this to be a Spengler semi-hero. This is, the, um, this is the food equivalent of made with organic materials. Right. Yeah. You're like, so, yeah, which ones? <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of getting to the, the point where I was like, okay, I need to nail down what makes this specific proton pack special. What makes all of the details line up for this one to be this pack? Because it, I would see it like on um, the, uh, was it the Spengler 1984 workbench Facebook group? Um, people would post on there and say, okay, this is a Spengler 84 hero proton pack. And that has a meaning because the different details and the different parts that are interchangeable, they've picked all of the ones that match the one from that specific proton pack. And I like that idea. And I was like, okay, right. we need to figure out a way to publicly put it out there so if you're trying to match a specific pack the best that we can know some of them we don't know all the details on because some of them have been lost to time have been destroyed Mm -hmm. some we don't know exactly where they are and we just have screen grabs like on the the, uh like winston's proton packs like both of his just disappeared but um kind of where i was going with it was i was figuring out what makes each pack special and makes it that pack and it started off as kind of like i said referencing what other people had said on gb fans but then i started i I turned a corner i was like i want to be figuring this out for myself to where i don't have to post a reference to somebody told me this or i found this somewhere else i want to be able to figure it out where i can look at the pictures i can look at the screen grabs i can watch the movie itself and be able to identify it and know it and know how or why that is what it is, why that detail is what it is. And that's what I started doing to where I could be able to teach. I was teaching myself to fish kind of, or Mm -hmm. I wasn't having, how I didn't have to go and reference somebody else's notes. I was figuring out how that worked. And then that's what I was putting out on YouTube saying, okay, 
here's what I understand it to be true. And sometimes there was a detail here or there where I was a little bit off and people would correct me and, you know, we would tweak it. But for the most part, I was figuring it out just by visual, visualization and writing it down and then putting it up on YouTube and just kind of making it into like a five to, to eight minute little video per proton pack. Right. And I made like some longer ones too, where you can go to just to Ghostbusters 2 and here's all the proton packs and what makes them all different from just from watching the movie with screen, mm -hmm. screen grabs and stuff. And um, I think that just really opened things up a lot for the, for the YouTube channel in general, just being able to be that detailed and that meticulous. I had some people that would reach out to me and said, I was, I was wanting to build a 84 stance pack and I had it down. I knew I had everything just right. And I watched your video and I saw two or three things that I had wrong. And I was able to tell they were wrong because you showed me why they were wrong. <laughs> right. Not that they were wrong, but I just didn't have the correct part and I needed to swap it out with a different one. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a resistor or something, something you could buy for 12 bucks, swap it out and it's better and you can have, and it's nobody else usually cares. If you're out on the street, right. if it's Halloween, <laughs> nobody cares. Oh, you're, you're a Ghostbuster, you know, whatever. It's a proton pack. Nobody knows that there's differences to all of them, but you know, if you've spent your hard earned right. time and money and energy and trying to replicate a specific one, if there's one detail that's not right, you're going to remember that's the one I need to update. That's the one right. I need to find this part for so that I can have that one extra percentage of making my, my pack right. And so um, last year, my big video series was something I called the Vinkman conversion, where I took my proton pack that I had considered done since 2014. And as I'd done all this research, I realized, okay, it's still got issues where part of it's uh, GB1, part of it's GB2, part of it is um, a hero pack, part of it is semi-hero, just based on the, uh, like I said, some of the details and the parts that could have been swapped around. And so that's what I did with mine. I decided to streamline it. I picked a pack. I went with the Vinkman right. hero pack from Ghostbusters <clears throat> 2, uh, which has very specific things that go along with that pack, if you're familiar with it. Just because that was the one that they, they tore down and they used that right. one to make the semi-hero, the lighter packs that the guys liked better uh, in the second movie. And so that one had some changes, but it had stuff that was left over from being an original pack from the first movie. But mm -hmm. it also had some of the details that <laughs> had to be changed because it had to be tore down and then put back together right. by production. So. Um, just a lot of that just went into it where it was, um, figuring it out. And after I had done all that research and made those videos, it's like, now I need to take it and turn it on myself and fix my pack because right. I'm the one now that's realizing that <laughs> I have things that need to be fixed. And, uh, I did a, a long video series where, you know, each, each video was like, okay, I'm going to change one or two of these little parts. And that's going to get it one step closer to being what I want it to be. And by the end of the series, I was very happy with what now I can really consider to be a complete pack. Long answer. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, I think you're right about the idea that like the, uh, 
the thing that matters where it matters the most about details is, is us as like fans. I will admit I'm a spirit pack carrying person with a Maddie wand. So when you talk about screen accuracy, I'm like, nope, that's not me. I admit it. But like, I know when people walk up to me, I will have I'll be at a con and someone will walk up to me and go, that's amazing. Did you build that? And my my brain is like, no, like, I did not build this. Right. By the same token, I'm like, but I did paint all of it and I did replace the ribbon cable and I did wire it all up and I did make it all work together. So it's like, I'm not ever going to say I built it. I'm like, well, it's kind of an amalgamation of a spirit Halloween thing. And then it's got some internals upgrades that I put in it. And right. I never feel comfortable saying the word build because like, I know how much is still wrong on the thing because it's a spirit pack for God's sake. It's not even the right size. But like for anyone who you walk up to who has no idea, you have a proton pack. They don't right. care. Right. Like they if you especially if you have like a full size wand and lights and speakers like they don't care. They don't care what size it is because you are a person in a flight suit who's carrying a ghost trap and currently Ghostbusters is playing out of the back of your big glowy backpack. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, but I think you're right that like, there's a lot of folks who are also, they want to make sure that their stuff is accurate to them. They want a replica, not just like a thing the casual fan would appreciate. And they want something that's better than the thing that was given to a planet Hollywood. <laughs> like, to right. be, you know, <laughs> and it's so, gotten to a point now where it's kind of weird because 20,000 uh, proton packs were sold, sold by Hasbro. Right. And so I think there was kind of a, a gut check kind of thing for some of people that have spent $2,000 over the last 10 years <laughs> of their life. Uh, maybe not writing it. Like for me, I never wrote a check for $2,000 and said, here, send me all the parts right. I need for a proton pack. It was upscaling it and upgrading it and finding something, you know, it started off as a foam pack and it is mm -hmm. what it is now. Um, but for somebody in that position that, spent all of that hard work and detail and were very meticulous. And now they like anybody that wanted to spend $500 a year ago right. to get a proton pack now has one that is the same size and basic dimensions. And it looks just as good. And the sounds and lights might be better than the one that I have. And <laughs> this is one from the new movie. And um, so I think for some people, it was kind of a challenge to not be jealous about it that, um, or to think, okay, does this diminish what I put in and right. what I did? Because if you go back to talking 15 years when I first joined the forum, ancient times, um, you couldn't buy anything Ghostbusters off no. the shelf pro or prop-wise. Uh, when I first started, if you were, it was like something probably you're going to buy from the GB fan store, right? Yeah, it was like, exactly. It was, it was fan built. There was nothing like yes. Max, for instance. Like I know you did um, a series of videos a while back on the Max Factory shell, right? Yeah. That's like Still the idea that part. Max Factory would be producing an authorized shell even like right. back then is nuts, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And I started off with just the Stefan Auto plans where you just blow them up and you print them out and you cut them out and you have the basic dimensions for all the parts that you need. And I cut them out with foam core and, you know, glued them together on the floor in my living room while my infant son was taking his nap because I didn't have a <laughs> workspace right. and I didn't have money for spent for doing this. I had just 
started a new job. I was working six days a week, actually working two jobs. And I had a son that was like six years old or six months old. And while I was watching him while my wife was at work, I would get my stuff out, pull it out on the living room floor. And then when he would start to make noise in his crib, in his room, I knew I had a few seconds to (laughs) clean everything up that would be on the floor because there'd be the smallest little stuff here and there. Try to find it all because I'm about to have a baby on the floor right right where that stuff was. And I know I'm going to be in a lot of trouble uh, (laughs) with the missus if something uh, ends up in that baby's eye or mouth or ear or nose from what I was (laughs) making out of foam on the floor, which sounds just insane. But it's what I wanted to do. This was the hobby I wanted to have. I I bought the the flight suit from GB fans and I got the patches, you know, and you, you you come across and you find something that'll work for the belt and the elbow pads and the boots, but the pack is what makes it, you know, you can have the uniform, but you're still looking kind yeah. of paramilitary, you know, you want, yeah. if you want to look like a, a ghostbuster, you got to have the pack. And if you can't afford it back in the day, that's what we had to do is we had to just be able to figure out a way to make it. And so a lot of dollar store stuff I've actually got on the floor here. I was going to show you. I've got the, the cake pan cyclotron <laughs> with wow. the, um, with the Pringles can and filter. That's amazing. Uh, signed by Dan Aykroyd of all that's things. Ama- it is. So, in fact, now I'm like, why are we have a video podcast? Cause that's amazing. Right? I love it. You have to show us on your own channel now. Yeah. I've shown <laughs> it a, a time or two on the channel, but I wanted to show that. I mean, I've kept it because not only is it signed, but also, because it's kind of just a reminder of where things started. Yeah. yeah. I, and, I've joked about my spirit pack. Somebody said, are you going to get rid of it now? And I said, of course not. Like no. I, that was, that was the first pack that I customized. And like, I'm not a builder. If you ask me to put together Ikea furniture, you have potentially risks that are going to happen. Like I can follow <laughs> Lego directions. I can put together, I mean, I can put together, I'm joking, but it's like, I can put together Ikea furniture. But when it comes to, you know, a lot of stuff that isn't digital, I'm not, it's not how my brain is inclined. You know, and so it's just like, I don't do well with that. Whereas, but when somebody said to me, and it's kind of funny, like what made me want to do this episode with you not to be like, let's bring up a different person, but, um, Amanda Fryer who did Amanda's prop shop videos for a long time. Uh, it was her videos on like how to modify a proton pack or a spirit pack it was a three episode like, series on how to strip it down, how to paint it, how to put the cosmetic adjustments on. It. And I was like, I could do this. Like I, I can do this. This is not hard. And that was kind of what made. So for me now, if somebody said, do you want to get rid of your spirit pack because you got a HasLab pack and you have better packs? I would go, of course not. Like that's got to have a place in my life because it's a piece. It's like r- having an, a sentimental first car, right? <laughs> you know, how many people go back and try and rebuy their first car because they're trying to recapture that feeling and that attachment to the first version of the thing they had. So right. I totally get that. I love that you have your cake pan. Uh, cyclotron and i i'm actually impressed by how good it looks i'm like that's a cake pan <laughs> yeah it's cake pan it's got really big uh washers for the for the little <laughs> lenses to go in yeah it's uh it's had better days but uh the the uh in filter the pringles can falls off of it now the glue is pretty much given up on it but <laughs> but i hang on to I, it because I sense, a, I sense a rebuild video in the future so well, i'm shoot. saying I have actually thought of like, 
doing that and showing people here's where I started square one where you couldn't go spend $75 at Spirit Halloween and buy a proton pack. If I would you watch wanted, that. That's amazing. If you wanted one, you had to figure it out. And there was tons on GV fans back in the day. People called them junk packs. Yeah. Junk builds where people just go to Dollar Tree and just find stuff that looked like almost the right shape and put it together and paint it black and <laughs> yeah. put some Christmas lights in it. And, you know, that's where we were at. And, you know, people that wanted to spend the money could at the time because there were high-end shells that you could spend three to $400 on and be able to build a real proton pack um, that looked a lot more movie accurate. But for someone that was in my situation, you know, and, and I, I always kind of say it like this is people say, well, ask me, you know, how much did you spend on that? Or how much did that cost? And at first I really don't want to tell them, but I've, I've got $2,000 in my, my Vinkman conversion pack. Just like I said, over the mm-hmm. years, you know, that's pretty much, I can go back and count. And this is what each part costs um, from buying it from multiple sellers, GB fans, different places. Um, but it's it's my hobby and I don't yeah I don't play golf I don't go drinking with the guys <laughs> I don't right. have a motorcycle I don't have a boat I you know there if there's anything that's a drain in my life from something that's you know you know expendable income or whatever the the term is um disposable income I guess this is what I chose to put it in Right. And uh, I spoke with my kids school um, a year ago and I told them, you know, it's okay to like what you like and it's okay for other people to like what they like. And just because y'all like different things doesn't mean what you like is better. What they like for them, that's what they like. And this is what I like. And if somebody else likes to go golfing and spend their money doing that, that's great. That's where they find their happiness and that's the Mm -hmm. skill and the fun that they want to have doing that thing. This is the thing that brings me a creative outlet that gives me a sense of accomplishment when I got something right or when I get past the frustrating thing that I can't figure out or the tiny little spot where my fingers don't fit and I finally get that wire (laughs) to go where it needs to go. Um, Man, there's a lot of frustrating times, but the accomplishment you feel once you have it fix the way that you want it to be and you know that it's right and you know you got it the way you want it to to go um that's just that's where i get my sense of of joy with it so it's just you know to each their own and this is the thing that it it brings me happiness to be able to spend my spare time and my creativity on this and you know my, my my wife has said that she would rather have me you know you know spending time with this and even though it does cost money on some things that she might think is kind of frivolous but she said well where else could it be going you know if, if we right. were to look overall at you know the world today so mm-hmm. yeah could be i mean worse. i think i i feel that i don't think there's anything bad about it honestly i i say this all the time that like people should do what brings them joy um and i think that that's pretty clear for you that like your building of props and documenting it is part of what does that for you so, yeah. you know, why not do it? And I think what's really good about it is that you're figuring out how to share that in a way that also kind of builds out your skill set further and connects you with community beyond yourself. Right. It's like there's there's collecting. Right. And there's collecting and um, commenting and curating and cultivating. And so 
like to me, I think that's what the value is that you're doing for the community, because on the one hand, it's like people collect props and they build props or they collect toys. But once you start taking that and saying like, hey, how can we take that and turn it into a knowledge base for people out there? You're doing a different project, right? You're honing a different skill set, too, because it's not just about building anymore. It's about communicating and planning and sort of thinking about how do you convey this information to other people? So um, which I think you do really well. So, yeah, appreciate it. And it's not just props too. Um, like I do enjoy doing the videos where I find something. Um, maybe I'm not the first one to find it, but I'm able to purchase something that I know mm-hmm. was in the movie and right. it's, you know, you can show the, the, the viewers, you know, where it is in the movie and then how it is to possibly look it up on eBay. And if this is something that you want to get, I've got the car like the police car that they had from the state puff scene, the same <laughs> you scale. Have one of those. I bought oh this for goodness. myself like, for my birthday last year and it was like 40 or 50 bucks on eBay. And it is like the, the electronics don't work in it, but otherwise <laughs> it is almost as clean as you can get for something that's 40 for years old. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, it's not on video. What Matt is holding his hands right now is one of the, um, the like what year are those like 1977 or 1979 it's or like something? the dodge monaco police cars that they had on the street that billy Bryan yeah. was walking around and they painted some of them yellow to make them be uh, taxi cabs and they ma- yep. made some of them red and white to be like uh fire department cars and it was a weird scale because it ended up being about a one eighteenth scale just because Brightman decided the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was going to be 112 and a half feet tall. <laughs> yep. And so when they did the math and saw how tall Billy was and the suit was going to be, then it came out to about one eighteenth scale, which they don't make a whole lot of uh, vehicles for. So they found these cars that are that scale at Toys R Us's and they bought out every Toys R Us in yeah. Southern California um, <laughs> of all of these cars. And they, they chopped them up and painted them and made them different um, so that they could have those scattered and not have to build their own. You know, that's, right. that's a big win for them. They're especially on a time crunch. They were able to find something, the right scale, put it down there where it's barely in view. You can all, you know, mm-hmm. they're not putting the camera right next to it. But uh, it was something that looked the part and you can actually still find these on right. eBay from time to time. And usually they're in pretty rough shape, but I found one that was a really good that shape. That was nice. <laughs> and so there's stuff like that, you know, Janine's lucky coin, you know, everybody kind of found a way to get one of those when Afterlife right. came out. Um, that was a big thing. Uh, the toaster itself, you can still look up the, the, the part number or the, the, mm-hmm. uh, the what's the model number the b the b700 i think right and uh it's the one without the little squiggly on the side of it unless hey unless you're gonna follow afterlife where the squiggles appear on the toaster right but you really don't (laughs) see the toaster in the in that movie and then one thing but i thought it was funny that when production was like we need to get a toaster and they were like just get the one with the damn squiggles on it right (laughs) it's so much easier to find (laughs) and then i found one thing that i know you were at one point on the lookout for uh, I found inbox uh, the uh, I need, the USB uh, wait, flash drive. Like I need to stop right now because we're gonna have to tell the story because I we, yep. I didn't know if we were gonna talk about this or not. But Austin from Central Oklahoma Ghostbusters, who folks who listen to the podcast know, has been on several times and is going to eventually make us all sequined Ric Flair style forty five pound Ghostbusters robes. 
Um, <laughs> that's like part of one of his inevitable projects. But you have to appear. The rules, if you haven't heard this, are you have to appear on the podcast five times like you get card punched. It's like being on SNL five times and joining the five timers club. Except oh, nice. You get a 45 pound. It started out as just a bathrobe, but has escalated so far that I don't even think Austin knows how far it's escalated in my brain. And it's never going to pay off. But nevertheless, <laughs> he knows and several people on this podcast some who listen to the podcast know that my current giant grail chase item from Ghostbusters, the thing I want more than anything else, it's just so stupid, is I want a My Little Pony Rainbow Dash Mimo Co. Mimo Bot USB stick, just like the one that podcast holds up and hands to Phoebe and says, do you want to check out my podcast? Mm-hmm. And what I want to do with it is I want to put my entire podcast library on it. I am not leaving it in the box. I am not leaving it like, you know, mint. mint this is no, it needs to come out and it needs to get data put on it. And I want to be able to hold it up at people and say, you want to check out my podcast and feel ridiculous and stupid. So Austin <laughs> knows this. Austin knows because Austin was the only person I knew who had found one. And he knew I was looking for it and knows that I like have an alert set on eBay, on Mercari, on all of these places that if anyone is ever listed, I'm supposed to be notified. So I will buy the stupid thing immediately. And lo and behold, that there was an auction or an eBay listing or whatever it was that posted. And I missed it. And I went, what? And I was so mad. And I messaged Austin and I was like, dude, look what I missed. I'm so pissed off. And he was like, oh, I know who got that. <laughs> and I had no idea who it was for a long time. I messaged him and like then, as soon as I hit pay, man, I was like, look what I found. And then yesterday I said, hey, dude, how are you? And we were talking on Instagram and I said, hey, uh, Matt from the Proton Pack is not a toy is going to be on the podcast. And he said the following. Do you know he's the guy with the other Rainbow Dash Mimo bot, right? And I went. <laughs> No, I had no idea that that was the person who had that whatsoever. And now you just showed it to me on webcam. Yep. And I am like in beside myself at the moment. It's going to take me a minute to recomp. I'm kidding. But like uh, that is my stupidest grail piece right now. I have not found another one. And this is the most ridiculous thing. Where is it? Years ago, but people can't. This is not a visual medium. So everybody listening is like, why are you doing this? Years ago, a friend of mine went to San Diego Comic Con and just by random chance, he like was given a Mimobot promotional thing. So I have a Mimobot eight gigabyte Bane from Batman in my hand right now that has nothing to do with. I would not care about this at all, except for the fact that I know it's a Mimobot Mimo cone. I'm like, do you want to trade? Is there anybody out there who needs a Bane? It's got a rainbow dash. Oh, oh, this is a kid. This is now an item for bartering. And otherwise, I'd throw it away. But right. it's like a one in two fifty. I'm like, it's rarer than the rainbow dash. Who wants the trade? Who wants it? So to know that you have one, I'm happy for you. This is not my way of being like, get off my podcast. You failed. I'm angry now. I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> like, I, well, here's my side of it. It's funny because I had heard your uh, interview or your podcast with Austin where y'all had <laughs> talked about it. And then it was like, it was like maybe a month after that where it actually showed up. <laughs> And it I have was. like, I have like three different save searches on eBay for different word combina- combinations <laughs> on what it could be. It's like Mimoco, yeah, Mimobot, <laughs> Pony, USB, you know, stupid stuff. And they never... USB fl- rainbow. Right. <laughs> Just- they never flag anything. And I was sitting watching TV. I think I was watching a football game on a Sunday night or something. And 
like I got the alert on my phone and it was like three of them hit at once because all of them had the <laughs> the, the words <laughs> pop up on it. So they were very descriptive on their on their post. And like I saw I saw the picture and like I hit buy it now like right away. I didn't even look at the price. <laughs> And it's like, I'm going to check this after the fact just to make sure, because the way the eBay thing works is like, you'll get an alert, but usually it's yeah. been on eBay for a few hours by the right. time you've got right. the alert. And so I paid for it. Then I went and looked at the pictures just to make sure. And was like, I have to get this really quick because I know Jim's looking for one. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Right now, like people said to me, what is your what are your grail items? It's the white whale. Ghostbusters. I'm like, I need Bill Murray's autograph. I need Harold Ramis's autograph, which is even harder to get than Bill Murray's at this point. And I need a rainbow this stupid, dash My little pony stick. thing. Yeah. <laughs> now I've become picky. Now I'm like, I want the 32 gig version. I got a lot of podcasts, right? The right? eight gigabytes, not good enough for me. <laughs> I've got the eight. So that's what I've got. Yeah. I'll take either. I don't care. I would figure out how to open the damn thing up and change out the USB stick once yeah. it goes bad. I, I asked care. Austin. I asked Austin. When I knew at one point where he was working on the pack that they gave to Logan Kim. Yeah. Uh, he was talking with me about it before it actually became public. And he was telling me about the box. And, you know, he was doing a lot of side things for it, too, to really set it off. And I asked him, are you going to give him the, uh, the My Little Pony USB drive? <laughs> Oh, heck no. There's no way. It's like you wouldn't even give it to podcast himself. No. It's like, that no, stupid it's, thing is the hardest like, thing to find. It's it insane. is so weird. It is so weird. And like there's, there'll be one that'll come up that's a different character. Yeah, like there's a Milo derpy Pony. one on eBay yeah. all the time. And I'm like, I don't need derpy. I and that was like Rainbow $100 Dash. or something. It's like a Right stupid. now, people listening to this podcast are like, what if you like if somebody like gets in their car, leaves yeah. their po- like podcast, fast forward, and, like comes back part. hours later, like what is this My Little Pony podcast <laughs> that I showed up to? Yeah, <laughs> but it always felt weird having a My Little Pony like thing to search on there. It's like I'm not a brony. I mean, if you are, no. that's great, but that's not my bag. <laughs> and so to be looking up for these and like like you're doing too, kind of going on Google and Mercari, all these different places where it might show up. Uh, and then yeah. just, I got, just got lucky that it just popped up. I mean, well, I, and I still have funny. the alerts on there and I've, I, I haven't seen one since. If I do see one, I'm going to I'm going to send you a shout out and let you know. Austin knows this. And this is like maybe we're getting too, too granular in our individual conversation for podcast. We'll, yeah, well, but we'll stop in a second. But um, <laughs> I was searching for the damn thing this past week on Google. I was like, maybe I'll just find like, you know, a, a shop Goodwill listing or something. I'll just put it in there and see. And it popped up on Office Depot. Like it was like Office Depot, Rainbow Dash USB stick, 1999 in stock. And I was like, in stock? They must have found some back stock. And then I clicked on it and it was like, this item is <laughs> this item is discontinued. It was just like, for whatever reason, Google's little aggregator was showing in stock in the listing results. Oh, and man. I screenshot, I screenshot it and sent it to Austin. And I was like, I hate Google. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's really funny because they'll, they'll, these Office websites found will, a case of them. <laughs> the websites will keep the reference picture picture up there for who knows what reason, but just you yeah. know, just for reference, this did exist one time on our shelves, <laughs> but you can't have it. 
And now it's like 10 years old. Like that thing came yeah. out in like 2013. So that's what's crazy is that was like when they used it by the production. Yeah. It was already like seven, eight years old. Right. You know? Yeah. 2013. You're right. I'm looking at the back of it. Yes. Yeah, mine's still in box in good shape. And it's just been sitting on the, the shelf over here since right, so I got it. Fun fact before we move on from this. Okay. Because I now I want to now I want to talk about it for a second, if you don't mind. But um, do you know what it was originally supposed to be? No. It was not originally supposed to be a My Little Pony stick. In the it? script, as Jason Reitman talked about it during the Big Head Club uh, director's commentary thing, they did this for folks who may not have heard this. Big Head Club is an NFT company and they sold mini puffs. And then one of the perks of the mini puffs were that you got to come to these uh, like creators conversations with different folks who worked on the movie in Zoom format. So you would come and you could like ask questions and they would answer them and whatnot. And so the last one of those they did was a live watch party with Jason and Gil, where you could go and be on Zoom with them. And they were on video camera with Mac Clavel from Big Head. And you could ask questions in the comments. So when the USB stick scene popped up, he co- Jason commented that originally it was supposed to be a Hello Kitty oh, USB man. stick. But that Sony Legal was like, no, no, we can't because of like license agreements that we have on toys and whatnot. They had to so go with course, the Hasbro company, huh? They had to go with the Hasbro. He didn't say it in the pod. He didn't say in the commentary that we had to go with the Hasbro product, but it makes sense that they went with a Hasbro product because Hasbro had the toy line license. So yeah. Hasbro, of course, owns My Little Pony. And as a result, somebody probably, I've joked about it at this point that it probably went like this. Somebody probably emailed someone at Hasbro and was like, hey, do you guys happen to have any sort of like Hasbro themed, my, you know, like USB sticks around that would be cartoonish? And somebody like reached in a drawer and found one of those and was like, this will work. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's like where it came from, because unless Hasbro has a secret backstock of these. Where like, are they? They didn't make them. Mimoco did. Right. right. Where and are Mimoco's they? has been out of business for years. Did they so, just end up in a yeah. landfill or something or did, were I, they all sold to little girls or where are they? No, I my hypothesis, honestly, they sit deep in the collections of many bronies. <laughs> well, there don't you go. Don't part with That's them. True. Yeah, they're in there just as we would never get rid of the damn thing once we had it because it was in Ghostbusters. Right. There are a bunch of people out there who are dudes who listen dude. I, I say dudes, but I should be like people because I don't know. Um, but people who are really into My Little Pony who know that that is a one in 500 item that was only available at San Diego Comic Con and aren't looking to part with it, you right. know, so. Anyway, we can it's move on be, from that now. I just wanted to to brag a little no, bit. No, it's fine. I'm I'm glad that you got to brag. I'm glad that you get to have your your moment with your <laughs> USB stick still in its box, not <laughs> allowed to breathe, not allowed to have a podcast loaded on it. I think that your active contrition on this should be that you take the entire back catalog of Extra Plasm podcast, you put it on that stick, and then you put it right back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Man. Uh, but I will say this, if you don't know this about those USB sticks, they come with content on them. Uh, they have wallpapers for whatever it is that you like and icons. So you could make your desktop have rainbow, rainbow dash. dash. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's how you'll know whether or not somebody formatted the drive or not. If that content is not there anymore. Then, you know, the drive was formatted. So mm. there you go. Um, the more, you know, it's what you find out by plugging your Bane drive into your computer. You don't care about it's <laughs> not the right one. So I wanted to you brought up this concept earlier of individual proton packs, like making the um, the specific pack. So like I want to do like the Venkman pack that then like leads to the other packs that blends the parts from Ghostbusters one and Ghostbusters two. 
And I'm I'm sort of interested to see what your thoughts are. Have you seen much about what's going on with the Halloween costumes fun dot com pack? The one that was delayed multiple times yeah. over and has just started. I've seen pictures on Ghostbusters news. That's as far as I've gotten. Um, the first videos came out this week. Yeah, and I I didn't watch any of the, the videos of it. I There's been I haven't even delved into the full size spirit pack, which a lot of yeah. people have been getting and, and modding those. That's something I haven't even worked on yet or, or i don't really have any intention on doing that and this seems to be another full-size pack that's a step down from that but a step up in price <laughs> yeah am i correct kind of is isn't it like a 500 dollars pack or something i don't think i don't think that's an incorrect assessment um the reason i brought it up is that i find it to be an interesting pack because it's well it's 500 i'm currently i'm going to refer to it as the intercontinental pack because it will be sold in all of the countries that Spirit Halloween won't ship to. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's like, hey, why are you going to spend $500 on that pack? Because I live in Croatia and I can buy it. And right. I can't buy it <laughs> any of the other options in Croatia. <laughs> but um, th- the, I've been looking at that pack because I, I, there's a lot that I think is mm, wrong about it. I think that they tried to go for size and I think that the wand doesn't light up and it doesn't do anything. It makes sound out of the handle and that's it. But the one thing they did that I thought was the most interesting choice was the cyclotron lights go counterclockwise. And I was like, so what did you have the license to a Venkman inspired pack? Is that what this was? Yeah. Like if Hasbro was like, we have a license for Spangler pack. (laughs) And then like Hasbro spirits, like we have a license for a life size replica pack and then there's like fun they're like we have a pack that's based on the bankman pack i guess it's just like this is this the unique selling proposition of the thing um but i mean have you reached the point where you just spot and this is kind of why i asked this question have you reached the point where you just spot what people are like which pack people are basing the pack on when they create a consumer product consumer product no but like if somebody's somebody will show me the one they're working on and I can kind of see some of the details and be like, oh, you're working yeah. on a, you're making a Spingler. And they're like, yeah, how cool. How'd you know? Oh, you got two R701s. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cool. And, um, but as far as, yeah, the consumer product stuff, I really haven't paid a whole lot of attention to any except for the HasLab pack, just because I knew I was going to get that one. Then the reason being, I knew I was yeah. going to get that one is I didn't want to build a, afterlife pack from scratch i wanted to have an afterlife pack Mm -hmm. but this one was going to come as an afterlife pack right and i knew i was going to make some mods and and figure out how to get the uh the alice frame on there the way i wanted it not necessarily the way that they shared to do it um but that's a whole another deal um but yeah i knew i wanted to have an afterlife pack and so i had I knew early on that that was one I was going to purchase and I backed that one pretty early and I uh, already and had the one too. One of my first videos was me re- re- um, doing an unboxing and review of, of the Spingler wand when it first came yeah. out. Well, I think that you makes the right choice if you're making an afterlife pack. Like that is a pack that was live scanned off the prop. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it was 3D scanned off the prop. 
So it's like, you don't want to, I don't know if it's, I don't think live scan was the right thing. That's the thing you do with fingerprints, but, um, like the, I don't know the difference. That's that fine with me. It's, you know, they scan the prop. It's not like, um, Hey, someone's trying to figure out how to design it and build it. You know, it, it, it is a more or less a one-to-one to the prop they use. There's a few things that are different cause it's a toy, but you know, it's like right. for the most part, they took a model and then they kind of modify what they needed to, as opposed to somebody going, how do we design this from scratch to look like something else? So yeah. um, I'm in a situation where I have the, like you talked about, I have the max factory shell just sitting over here with the max factory bumper on it. And it's got the bellows on it and I've got a real clippered valve on it and a real crank knob on it. And some of the elbows are on there, but um, max factory has gotten to a point where they've kind of stalled out on putting out more parts. It was supposed to be a yeah. full build. And so it was going to have all the, the aluminum stuff that was supposed to be aluminum on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, still waiting on all that. And some, some of the parts that have come out are like the part came out like the, the booster frame, but you don't have a booster that goes between the booster mm-hmm. tube that goes between the frame and the shell. So I can't mount the, booster frame to my shell without the the booster tube (laughs) right (laughs) so now that i for christmas i got a 3d printer and so what i decided to do was kind of a frankenstein between the uh the q files which are the ones that are pretty popular in the 3d print community for proton packs i'm printing out the stuff that's missing from my gotcha. Max Factory stuff. So I printed out a whole wand and just put on the 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 knobs and the things that I already bought. Same thing for the shell. All the stuff that I had missing, I put on there. So really all I'm needing now is just some uh I need to paint it. I need to put some uh lights in there and I don't have a motherboard for it. But I could pretty much spend, you know, a little bit of money on GB fans probably and buy a few things, wiring some things and, and have another pack ready to go. I've got a Alice frame that's waiting on it. And, uh, so that's the reason I'm not really, really even paying attention to any of right. the consumer product stuff coming out because I've got one that has, is on deck ready mm-hmm. to, to be finished up. And that one I've got in mind to be, uh, a 1984 Spingler pack since I've got nice. an 89 Vinkman pack. So I wanted to have a couple of different configurations and um, I always, always like the, the Spengler one for, for some reason it has some, some details that are specific to it. Um, there's one clippered um, elbow. That's not really an elbow. It's a, it's a T joint because it's got a spot for two of the barbs to go in it instead of one. When you look at the reference photos um, and that's the only pack that has that specific uh clippered fitting on that one and so i got one of those fittings so it's like this is one of the things <laughs> kind of those cherry on top details that, that you know is there that nobody else cares about right but it's that but part of that is why you know i think for hardcore like prop building hobbyists it's like you're you are doing this in many ways to uh satiate your own need to have the thing you write you know oh, yeah. we talk about this a little bit it's like I mean, people are going to look at your thing and think it's amazing but for you if you think it's got anything even slightly wrong you've you know that's the opportunity yeah. for improvement And I don't want to make light of anybody that actually has OCD, but people throw around the term OCD a lot that you like to have things just right. And just the, the right 
details and in, in that and I've got a I've got a little bit of that where it's like I'm obsessed with you know if I'm going to do it let's try to get it as, as correct or uh, right. you know as we understand as correct as possible so yeah no it makes sense and I think it's cool that you're that you work on doing like different versions of the pack where it's from different moments or di- you know in, yeah. in the film or different versions of it um and I guess I, I think that I don't think your characterization of that pack is from fun is wrong. It's unfortunately, I think they put a lot of work into it. I think they tried yeah. to figure out how to make a proton pack and a consumer product, but what has kind of emerged around them uh, in yeah. the midst of development has kind now, of hurt. So we went from not having any options of proton packs to now it's, you have like five options. Yeah. Where it's like off the shelf. Same thing with like ghost traps there for a while. There were like three different places or versions that you could get. And I remember when I first did my foam proton pack, I took my Kenner trap and I painted it black and mm-hmm. put some loom around the, the tubing and put that on my belt. And I really wish I hadn't now because that was my trap from when <laughs> I was a kid. I ended up buying another one to replace it. So I've got a clean right. Kenner one, but I ended up selling that to somebody on GV fans just because I ended up getting a bigger trap um, when I got the Matty collector one. But, um, yeah, it's it's just amazing now that you, you can go at Halloween time and you can go to sometimes multiple different stores and buy either a proton pack or ecto goggles or a trap. Yeah, you know we had to build our own or pay a lot of money to be able to yeah figure out how to build them back and not so long ago. It's it wasn't a long time ago. No, it's really weird to think about this, but like the spirit Halloween proton pack has its emergence. And like that to me is the like are was there like a Viking props like kit? Yeah, sure. But that to me is not consumer product. That is hobbyist product. Like that's the hobbyists are consumers for sure. But you're not walking into a store and seeing a box that you could pick up and walk out with and be like, I now own a proton pack, even if it's one that has backpack straps on it. And so like you could go buy inflatable ones right. like you were going and buying a like a molded plastic shell of a proton pack probably unless it was a 2016 one it probably since the kenner one you right. so it was just like to me when i look back at that that's only 2017 like that ghostbusters classic line of props that spirit starts selling is in the wake of ghostbusters 2016 as a movie right right so the prop like that prop, the PKE meter prop, the ghost trap with the hand button, like all of those, when you get down to it, are things that were on the market for less than six years currently. Right. Yeah. What's so funny is in I, that six years, you've gotten so much other stuff. It's nuts. Yeah. That that first wave, that first year when all that stuff was at Spirit Halloween, um, I went on November 1st and I bought them all for half price. So I got the the Spirit Pack, the first one I ever bought, I got for like 40 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, this is amazing. It's it's 80% scale or whatever. But you know what? That's, that's unreal. Yeah. That it's like, I would have, the thing is, I've always said this too. If all of that had been available in 2008, I never would have gotten into building at all. I would have bought it and I would have had it. I would have worked for Halloween. It would have checked the box Mm -hmm. and I would have felt like, okay, I did the Ghostbusters thing and I would have put it away. And I probably never would have gotten anywhere close to going down the path that I went as far as learning these creative skills and making myself learn how to be handy in in certain ways to where 
you know, we get spoiled because it is available on the shelf. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't have that opportunity back then. And I had to make my own. And uh, because once you make one, you get the bug. (laughs) You really do. And once you finish it, you're like, you have a little bit of a letdown a depression you go into when it's finished. And I've seen Adam Savage talk about this. You finish what you're working on and you kind of go into a, a kind of a little gray time to where you're like, I'm, I'm done working on my thing. And what's next? <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with what I made. It's really cool. I enjoy it. I'm showing it off to friends and they like it. But now that creative outlet's gone. I and might do that every week, just so everybody's clear. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, might, I might finish every extra blast and put it out on Tuesday and go, oh God, what now? <laughs> <laughs> Line up somebody else. <laughs> Dread of real life and figuring out the next one. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just, it is. It's like putting together a project and hitting the end of like an iteration of something. You're like yeah. I did that. I achieved it. And then it's like, oh, okay. But now what? <laughs> and that here's what does cons- fade a little bit. Here's what you know? the consumer, this was I was kind of thinking of, and I got off on a tangent with the consumer products and the, and the companies need to release are things like the slime blower and things like that. And we've got enough proton packs now. We've had our yeah. options. Pretty much anybody that wants a pack should have one by now. Mm-hmm. Right? I agree. I've sold 20,000 of them through Hasbro. That's a lot. Yeah. And then beyond that, like, you know, you watch Spirit Halloween put up packs. And they go and they quick. sell out. They're yeah. gone. Like, I mean, Jason from Ghostbusters News is like, by the way, Proton Packs are back in stock. And I don't yeah, know like who doesn't every own two one days. yet. But <laughs> and I mean, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, but like. I see them as valuable building platforms. Like, even if you're not like, I would not have gotten as far as I have in like, I have a proton pack that has working electronics and stuff. If there hadn't been a shell for me to just go, Oh, I can gut this. Yeah. You know? So I think that the availability of those things, even if you're not a hardcore prop builder is huge because it gets you into like the intermediary steps of like, Oh, how do I get better at doing basics before I get into casting or any of these other things? But you were able to take it and look at it and say, this could be better. Yeah. yeah and for sure. I have this other thing. And if I put this with that, will that work? Let me see if I can find out how that works. And you maybe you watch a video or something. You see somebody else yeah. that's done the same thing. You're like, I could do that. Some guy with a YouTube channel yeah. about proton packs, not being a toy. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Hey, if you're talking about electronics, find somebody else. Cause I don't even have a soldering iron and I won't mess with anything like that. So I take my, cause I've had people, send me messages asking <laughs> about all like of my, all how, of my stuff you know, how do I work caps. with the, uh, the, uh, the light kit from Ninja tunes or something like that. I have a plug and play GB <laughs> fans light and sound kit. And that's all I've ever had. And it's done what I've needed it to do. So I have not ever it's so tried to manipulate it or change it or buy anything different. <laughs> so all of my stuff in my pack is like held together with twist light cap connectors and <laughs> electrical tape there's no solder involved but part yeah, of the reason why is you just said this the sort of plug and play gb fans kit like people were saying to me are you buying this mod for your has lab are you buying that mod for your has lab and i was like no i'm waiting for whatever ghost lab 42 yeah. <laughs> puts out because i know there's a tried and true trusted platform of builder who's going to make this easy for me um have you thought about that though of like doing any videos where you would try to like like, like, let me see if I can get somebody's electronic kit and give it a shot and like expand that skill set on and see how it goes on video. I haven't gotten to that point yet. 
that might be something down the line, but man, I, that's one of those things I have an aversion to is like, sometimes you, you just kind of see something that's like, that might not be way over my head, but right now it just seems to be way over my head. And, <laughs> you know, I was there with 3D printing last year until I found yeah. on, you know, Black Friday, I found a good deal on a reputable 3D printer. It's like, you know what, let's give it a shot. Only gonna cost you me, plug it? you know, a couple hundred bucks. Let's see how it goes. And I'll be able to crank out my own props that nobody else will make. And so, <laughs> like, I don't know if you've watched my recent videos, but I've just been working on a, a slime blower cannon. Yes. And um, it could be better, but I'm very happy with the way that it has turned out so far, so much so that I'm starting to make some of the parts for the the actual slime bore uh, pack that would go with it, which I wasn't sure I was actually going to do. So I'm in the point of attempting some things and I throw so many things away. I'm still so bad at it, but you know, each roll That's of film is 20 to 25 bucks and they can make so much stuff out of it. And I just kind of take it as, a, you know, there's $25 into the learning fund. Okay. That didn't work out. <laughs> Let's try another right. one. What if I told you, what if I told you that was how I did this with pizza too? Yeah. I was like, literally, I just bought like, I'm going to get five bags of flour. They each cost like $5 a piece. The rest of it's salt, water, and yeast. If it's bad, we throw it out. We make, try and make another, like that's, but it's kind of true. Like the only way you get there with something like this of fabricating, whether it's dough or whether it's 3d stuff is trial and error, yeah. you know? So yeah. And sometimes, like you know, that. and I've come to the point where it's like, I could probably go somewhere and, it's kind of funny because now I kind of avoid people that do what I do on YouTube, but I want to figure it out for <laughs> myself. I don't want to go find the person that has already figured it out and could easily tell me how to do it. I'm now to this, I'm, I'm an idiot to this point where like, I want to figure it out. I'm being stubborn. Um, there's probably a simple solution, but doggone it. I'm going to figure it out. So <laughs> let me ask you this question. I know that we talked about this a little bit off air before, because I did not know this about you, that you had participated in the beta test for Ghostbusters, the video game. Yes. Like not not Spirits Unleashed, the more recent one, but the more beloved. Sorry, everybody. Some people like I like Spirits Unleashed. That's fine. You can. I do, too. But the more beloved game, without question, in my mind, is Ghostbusters, the video game so much that they did a remastered HD release of it. Um Will you ever build an, like a or have you ever considered getting building a video game pack? Good Lord. Um, I've seen, I think Matt Burkett has one that he built and a couple other people have built them. Those are just monsters. The ones that, <laughs> that have all of the add-ons Everything to it, on them? Where it has like the, the slime tank and like the throwers twice the size of what a normal one is. And that thing has to weigh 50 pounds. I don't know um, who it was, but somebody just last a few weeks ago posted video on Instagram that I was scrolling through. It was work in progress. I knew exactly what it was when I saw it. It was a motherboard like mm -hmm. backing. There was like four little pistons or actuators coming off of it. And then there was like a piece of wood or something as a thing. And it just went shoo -chunk, shoo -chunk. and I was like, somebody's building a video game pack with that release that happens when the pack would overheat. Right. So like right. the entire pack bellows and the like bumper would just shoot out of the back of it for some reason and then insert back in, which we've never seen in the movies. I don't right, know that what that really mechanic was in the video game, <laughs> but somebody was building that. And I was like, 
that has to not only weigh a ton, but also now you're carrying around like a battery that's you got to have these have to be motor powered actuators. Like, yeah, that's got to be a lot of work. Yeah, so if, you, that's, if that's you listening out there, shout out to you. Yeah. <laughs> if you do have that skill set and that ability and understanding of how to make all that work, that those packs were so weird. Like the ribs would like pop open on the yeah. top. For like the, uh, whatever the shotgun blast thing was, where it was blue. The Nissan Collider and yeah, stuff. All, yeah. Man. But no. No, I was lucky to be able to do the, the beta testing thing, though. It was right about the time when I was building. I think this might have been what got me to the point where I really wanted to put the costume together. Was when I did yeah. the beta testing for the video game. Uh, it was Terminal Reality. I live south of Fort Worth, Texas. and. Terminal Reality was set up just north of Dallas, Texas, which you think isn't very far. It was a little over an hour drive for when I would do it. And there was a period for maybe two months where I went like once a week and I would sit in a dark room and they would give me a controller and said, and they wouldn't give me any instructions (laughs) and they would just, you know, they would go to just a regular computer screen and click, you know, a little thing to highlight it. And then a level would come up. And um, I remember I was trying to catch Slimer in the ballroom and they were like, don't shoot the chandelier. We haven't figured out the mechanics on that yet. But <laughs> um, I struggled really bad with the, the whole wrangling and stuff like that. But it was cool because I was able to give uh, my feedback, not only as a, as a gamer, but as a Ghostbusters fan and right. say, okay, this part looks really good. This part, you know, I don't know. That part doesn't really make sense to me. The gaming part, it's like, I'm really struggling with this. Am I doing something wrong? And they wouldn't be able to tell me if I was doing it wrong or not. So that was kind of the right. hard part. It's like, am I just an idiot and I'm missing something? <laughs> but I do remember. You're sitting I, there playing this game and they're like, let's see what happens if we take the puppy away. Right. Oh, but it had like, <laughs> it didn't even, it was pretty polished. I mean, we know they had the delays because everything Ghostbusters has delays. Um, it got delayed when it switched over from Activision to Atari or whichever way it went. I can't remember. Yeah. But, um, it was pretty polished. It had the voiceover stuff in it already, but I remember I I had to sign an NDA for all this, but it was 15 years ago and terminal reality, I believe is out of business. Um, so I'm not too worried (laughs) about that. I'm getting a cease and desist next week. Right. Yeah. I'm going to get a letter sternly worded. And uh, there, the the part where you hang off the side of the building and you shoot Mister Stay Puffed as he climbs up. Yeah, We're aware of this one, right? Mm-hmm. And you're dangling by the string at your waist or whatever it is, and he blows out of his mouth a line of these, uh, not mini puffs, minions. but they're but they're marshmallow minions. And yeah. they kind of work their way and kind of hop up the side of the building and you kind of have to mow them down and then you hit Stay Puff with boson darts until he falls. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy, right? The way we play it now, you can put it on <laughs> yeah. the hard level. It's just like spam boson darts, clear out the minions, and that's all you have to do. When right. I played it there, you had to actually wrangle the minions, pick them up, and then hit him on the top of the head oh, with wow. them. wow. Which doesn't sound too hard, but there was a depth perception issue to where for somehow you'd have to lift it up and then lower it down floors farther down. 
on the building and I could not get past that part. Hey, I, as you're saying this to me and you're like, it's not that hard. What literally just rang into my brain is that stupid scene in the uh, cemetery with the gargoyles oh, that goodness. you need to slam into the gates, <laughs> which I yeah. have learned in recent years. Here's the easiest way to defeat that section of Ghostbusters. You stand underneath it. And you don't shoot them. Yeah, the baby, you, the, the, the little cherubs or whatever. Yeah, you just run back and forth in front of the gate and they throw themselves into the gate trying to get you. And it yeah. takes like 15 seconds and it's the stupidest and easiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, um, I, I saw this in a video like two years ago. Couldn't believe it was real and then went and did it. And I was like, oh, my God, I've wasted how many hours I spent trying to tether that. cherubs. Yeah, days like I could not get past that section of the game. So as you said, you'd have to tether something and then slam it into something else. My I just had all of that because just like, no, don't don't put, right. put that in the game again. There, There is the possibility that that's what I thought you were supposed to do, but I was incorrect. <laughs> And I just didn't. No one could tell to, you. Yeah. And nobody told me, hey, just spam the boson darts, you idiot. Just knock him off the building. But I, I think that's what I was trying to do. And that's what the mechanic was at that time. But there's a possibility. That's what led that to the. I was wrong. The reshoot ADR line was added into the game as a result of your beta testing. Yeah. And that line is use boson darts to soften him up, cadet. Yeah. He felt that one in Pittsburgh. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, what's fun is you can actually go and rip all the audio files out of like the data files for that game. And so you can pull out all of the individual waves, like all the wave files of every single one of the lines from the game, including the ones they didn't use. Like the ones that are like in a data set that are just part of the data package that's in the game. But they ultimately ended up cutting like, you know, they're not like full sections in the parade level or anything that didn't get used, but right. it's like alternate takes and things that you never hear in the game otherwise. So that's fun. But yeah, yeah. that was it was a really cool experience. And like it just kind of they brought me to a point to where they were like, OK, we don't need you anymore. So I didn't get to go walk through the whole game or anything like that. Yeah. But then I was invited back when they did the midnight release, like right around the corner from the building where Terminal Reality was. They had a GameStop. And all of the people that worked on the game uh, for Terminal Reality were there for the midnight release. And I was able to go. And that was like the first time I had done anything public besides like Halloween with my my foam proton pack that I had built myself. <laughs> and I was so proud of it. And I was and they brought the newly refurbished Ecto-1 that they had just refurbished for the 25th anniversary, which seems like. A crazy number now since we're <laughs> approaching 40 now. That's been 15 years almost since that yeah. game came out. <laughs> but the that was like one of those bucket list experiences where it's like I was like, right. I've got pictures of myself right next to the real screen used Ecto-1 that they just like backed out of a truck, dropped it there in the parking <laughs> lot just randomly. In a, you know, it's not a special GameStop. It's like in a no, shopping it's a GameStop strip. in Texas. Just- yeah. It's just a shopping strip, you know? It's like there's a nail salon right next to it. And it's like, why are all these nerds out here with this car? But I kept recognizing this one guy that was walking around and I couldn't figure out who it was until later I realized it was Ryan French. It was the guy that they used (laughs) as the rookie. This rookie. Yeah. He was walking around. He didn't have like a nameplate on, but he did have like kind of a Rothko uniform or something on. And... uh (laughs) But I was like, who is that? He looks so familiar. And I realized, oh, <laughs> he's the guy in the game. 
dum dum. <laughs> but then uh, there's one other cool thing that a lot of people might not know. Like if you are in the office building, um, there's a part where you uh, kind of come into a quiet area of the, the office building and then all of the marshmallow minions start coming in from the ceiling. Yeah. And yep. you got to clear it out with Ray. In yep. the corner, close to the window, there is a hidden object or haunted object, whatever they called them. And it was like uh, a building kind of with a, a platform around mm -hmm. it, you know, like a yeah. driveway or, or it's like a diorama lot. of like a, yeah. of a building because like yeah. an architect firm. I think that you're in is like an office building, right? Yeah. That building is the terminal reality building that I walked into <laughs> oh, that's to go and do the um, the beta testing. And so they actually put their own that. building in the game. That's cute. I never knew that. I know exactly what you're talking about, though, because yeah. there is. It's like it's a diorama of a building in the midst of that floor and it makes yeah. its own noises and things. And you got to scan it to collect it as one of the objects. And that's, so and that's what that's a bunch from. of weird stuff like that. There's like copies of the Ghostbusters movie that you find during like the game. <laughs> There's an Ecto one toy that you yeah. find during the game. So yeah, that's, that's fun, but that's so cool. Like I've, I have to say that like, um, I've never had the opportunity to beta, beta test the video game. Um, but it sounds like something that would be really interesting. And I think with that game in particular, there was so much stuff that happened between like, it was originally like a Sierra games project or something. And then it went through like so many different yeah. places where it ended up with terminal reality that, I mean, in some ways it's a, it's a godsend that it was ever released because I think there was a lot of points where it may have just been canceled because of acquisitions of different companies and costs and et cetera. And so that we ended up getting such a beloved game in the end. Like, yeah. And people amazing, nitpick it you know? and say, oh, you know, you kind of got the phoned in Bill Murray uh, performance on some parts of it. Um, but man, just overall, what we did get out of that game was it's amazing. It was at the, the point where, you know, we, we had the the team from the movies that was available to actually take part and actually agreed to do so. And then there was we were at the point in technology to where the game could look and sound like something that made it worth it. Because if it had been like five years earlier, then it would have been cool, but it wouldn't have been as special. Because I mean, right. we're looking back now on 2008 technology and being like, okay, we're, we're miles, light years ahead of it <laughs> now. But for where we had been to where that game had come out, um, made it to where... The mechanics of everything, the way your proton pack worked and how you could upgrade mm -hmm. it and things that we had never dreamed of that we thought, oh, that would be cool if we could do that in a video game. And we actually could. Yep. Man, um, we, you know, as a fan base who had really nothing in the 10 years prior to that really hit the jackpot on uh, getting something that was uh, a real legit Ghostbusters product that didn't feel like. It was, you know, a cash grab or something like that. It really felt yeah. like it was something that people made with love and they wanted it to look good and sound good. So real, real hats off to Terminal Reality and how they handled that and put that game together. Because I've heard some of the background stories on stuff like that and how they had to really hunt down the voice actors and yep. really um go way out of their way to make sure that this was going to come out the way that they wanted to and really be a quality game so um 
Yeah. Big props. I mean, I've said this. I don't, this is not to like put down on the Ilphonic game, like on spirits unleashed, but, um, I don't anticipate buying a like spirits unleashed remastered HD (laughs) in 10 years. Like, I don't think it'll exist. I don't think anyone will be like, man, that's something that everybody needs to get a second version of. That's like for their newer console, because damn, that was a good game. Like, and it's not, it's not that a, a bad game. It's just, I don't think it has any of the same, like kind of lightning in a bottle that Ghostbusters, a video game had, because it was this weird moment in video games too, where it was like, what if we could go get principal voice actors and get them to do voice content for a game, which like nobody was really, I, at least I don't think anybody was doing that much. Right. You would talk about video games of that era, having really bad VO uh, acting, you know, and sort of like really bad regionalizations. And so I think it's kind of fascinating that where we're at today is like, you look at a game like the last of us and like how that's become like a phenomenon on television and whatnot. And you have this crossover right. of actors who are involved And I wonder, like, will we see a future Ghostbusters game? Like, I don't think it'll be Spirits Unleashed, but they can kind of do that of like bringing in the principal actors and telling a story that you feel is like a movie, you know, in the same way that many of us saw that movie as that game as Ghostbusters three. We never thought we were getting another movie. So it's just wonder. I wonder if there's a place for it since we're kind of to the point where we're about to get some animated features. We're about to get another sequel uh, so quickly after we just had one. And uh, the Netflix thing that's supposed to happen. I'm, I'm losing track of all the things that are supposed to be in the pipeline. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily a, a place for it or a need for it. Um, since we're kind of getting the real deal. You I'm know? saying VR. I want to wake up in the morning. I want to put on a headset. And when I wake up, it's Dan Aykroyd. And he's like, good morning, cadet. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, good morning, boss. And he's like, it's time to get some coffee, cadet. And That's then I don't know if you if you've ever played the, uh, the I don't know if you've ever got to do it, but the void had a Ghostbusters experience before all the void locations closed up during pandemic. Yeah, I never got and to do it. <laughs> the premise of that game, I kid you not, was. You got you came into a room and they had uh, Dan Aykroyd and I refused to call him race dance because he wasn't. Like this was this was Dan. This was Uncle Dan in a loot crate Ghostbusters jacket and the black (laughs) on black like Ghostbusters hat with the black logo. And he said, well, cadets, we need coffee. And normally I wouldn't be allowed to requisition the Ecto-1 for you to go out and get it because you're not allowed to drive the car alone or something along those lines. And and then was like, but I found a bus that you can attend along the way. So like the premise of the game that you're about to walk into is that you are going to get going on a bus by yourself so you can pick up coffee. Like that is, <laughs> which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And so you as the rookies are not having the Ghostbusters go with you because they're, they just want coffee, but they found a minor bust for you to go handle on your own to justify the paperwork of letting you take the Ecto one out on your own, like, or some, or, or the equipment. I can't remember which it was, but that's um, yeah. And that's me. I'm like, I want that. Let me wake up to that in the morning. Like I can get up on a Saturday. If you're going to give me a VR experience. I don't want to run around with like a furry suit on. I want to put on a helmet and be like, cadet, we all want pizza. Right. <laughs> but to get it, you're going to need to go and stop the stay puff marshmallow man. <laughs>
<laughs> He's got a new friend. He's called the Times Square Pizza Man. <laughs> Just, I don't know. <laughs> He's gotten together with the Shakey's Pizza mascot. Watch out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's yeah, like the I, Noid. Remember the Noid from the, yeah. the Domino's commercial? There's like a giant Noid. Hundred foot tall. We can't avoid him. He's just too big. <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> How do you avoid the Noid? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean it's I'm kidding, but like I really do hope we get um I would like to see more like real world voice acting stuff in VR. Like I know we we're talking we've seen what's coming with the upcoming game and it's kind of like um very stylized, you know, like it's got you can dress up your ghostbuster and all kinds of different stuff. Even in Spirits Unleashed, like you can you know, dress your you can be all these different people, but it's incredibly stylized and artsy and cartoony. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see like as much as I don't want to see AI do bad things in the industry, it would be cool to be able to do like well compensated representations of people in VR where you could do an experience like that where you interact with procedurally generated characters but um you know they they didn't just reiterate the same stuff over and over again or just an open <laughs> it'd be cool to have like an open world GTA slash Red Dead Redemption type Ghostbusters game to where yeah you're you know side quests are everywhere you have your main focus that you're trying to do and it's everything that we've gotten so far has been either. Okay. You're in a room, you have to complete the mission and it's over or it's linear. Right. But to have something that was open world and you kind of can go wherever you want and kind of choose your own adventure. <laughs> that would be you really just, cool. You just made me think of this. I swear it's just off my brain just now because you said GTA and side quests. I'm like, well, what would those be in a Ghostbusters game? Because you wouldn't want them to be like the hot coffee story from like no. years ago. <laughs> like you wouldn't want it to be like, hey, you've got to go hustle somebody. I'm like, what would it be? And then it popped in my brain while you were talking. And I was like, birthday parties. <laughs> 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 like one of the side quests would be like, you have to do 100 birthday parties or something like to unlock the achievements or you've got to escalate your birthday party appearance career from low level kids and like, you know, poverty to high end celebrities. <laughs> You're like doing a Kardashian party. Yeah. You're coming in and playing a theme song. People yelling, he man. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was, that's fun. I, I'm glad you got to do the beta testing. on that. That's so cool. Um, and I hope that I hope we get to see more games like that in the future. Is there anything coming down the pike that you hope to see? Like, um, what would you say that you don't have now would be like your ideal Ghostbusters prop release or toy release? Ideal. Um, as I'm working on building my own slime blower, I'm really realizing how big that is and how much money that would cost to be (laughs) a, I, it just doesn't seem to be like something that would be an undertaking that a toy company would go through. Yeah. Um, Cause it is bigger than a proton pack and the proton pack came in a huge oh, yeah. box and it's, it was serious business. It, I, it wouldn't have as many features, but Let's just, just have people subscribe to it with the slogan of it really slimes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. If it com- a toy company makes it, it's got to have some kind of shooting mechanism in it. It would yeah. have to shoot silly string or something. And um, there are just 
when you have projectiles and you just run into issues. And I think if you're talking more compact and then more um, affordable, mm-hmm. then we're looking at things like a better version of the PKE meter than what we got from Mattel that makes okay. the right sounds and not the yeah. beeping. <laughs> or even, I don't think they would ever do a Geiger meter, but that would be cool to have a yeah. Geiger meter. And then I don't know. Am I forgetting any other props that we're missing? I, I, I mean, I we haven't know. had a trap in a while, but like, yeah. But there's been so many of the lower end ones, you know, the low. I mean, the Walmart trap and the Spirit trap, to where you could spend twenty five bucks and get a trap. Um, I'll say I would like to see like whoever owns the rights to that Walmart trap because it was a Ruby's product and in the Ruby's the solution and buy up by NECA or whoever else bought it. Um, it would be really great to see somebody put that trap out again like maybe a little more robust on the wiring but like that is a thing that's become a crazy chase item even yeah. though it was made in like at walmart in like 2020 it's like three years old and now be like oh my god you have a walmart trap and it's like yeah dude that thing was out like three years ago i don't know what to tell you but yeah. there were so few of them you know i would think it would be good for somebody to um take that opportunity and come up with a better trap you know, I mean, Mattel did one most recently. Everybody knows that my position on the ideal item is there's only one answer to this question. And it is a 112 Ecto one that really rolls. Everything else is <laughs> right. There's like that and that stupid USB sticker. The two things I need in my life um, <laughs> to make my to make me happy. But um, well, I, I think it's interesting that we've had a lot of different props and options and things. But I think, you know, some of the stuff you're talking like a PKE meter would be. Um, I think a welcome thing, especially after afterlife, we've now seen it do things that it yeah. never did. You know, I'm just curious on how if they're going to keep all the ones with the the newer features as we go into more and more sequels. I expect we'll see familiar items that do get new right. features like we just did. Um, we might get brand new items that we've never imagined before, like we did in Ghostbusters 2. Nobody expected a slime blower, but, you know, we saw it. And we loved it. Yeah. So is there another? Uh, is Firehouse going to have something on that scale or that cool to where something that's going to be universally accepted by the the fan base? Or are, are we going to be picky about it and be like, well, it's not as good as what we had before? I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying now that the next Hasbro release is probably going to be um, a Hasbro uh, or Ghostbusters branded firehouse snow cone maker. <laughs> it's like that Snoopy snow cone maker when you were a kid, yeah. except it's a firehouse because we saw that frozen logo. So obviously like the next tie in is just a snow cone maker where they just, you dump ice in the top of it. You push down the top of the containment unit, you turn a crank and then a bunch of snow cone stuff just spills out of the front of the firehouse. It's like the Kenner <laughs> one where you like turn the pole and that's what turns uh, yeah. the inside and moves the ice around. <laughs> I want to see like awesome. in the movie let's get like a an RGB like Ecto 2 and like have a flying motorcycle like in the movie yeah let's do that let's be stupid crazy <laughs> I still want a toy of marine Ecto 8 right? I'm still yeah. waiting for this as much as I'm waiting for an Ecto 1 that really rolls that holds my 6 inch figures I still want a boat that really floats <laughs> and how long are how long are we going to rely on ecto-1 i didn't expect it to survive afterlife and obviously 
from what we can understand from <laughs> what we saw driving around New York. It's you it's know, still around. I don't think um, you know, spoiling anybody by saying, you know, it will be in the next movie. But, you know, are we going to get a fleet of more cars or is it going to be I uh, I had said this. I said it was time for the car to go. Yeah. And then I saw what they did to like, I've not gotten into details in the podcast. So I want to spoil right. anything for anybody, but I have said that like the car clearly got um, some nice new paintwork and some remodel. And I looked at it and I went, you can't get rid of it. I love it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> at first I was like, it's too old. It's got to go replace it with some other stuff in the new movie. And now I'm like, you can't. I love it. I don't. And then to be fair, the one that's in the movie is not the one that's in the first movie because that one's parked over on the Sony lot. Right. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. But then, you know, do we need a, a complimentary one for off-roading? Do we need like a Jeep? Because <laughs> that's what I would do. Like if I were to actually build my own Ecto to have like drive around town, I would get like a Wrangler. Because you can trick those out and people put names on them and have Jeep clubs. And yeah. like you could put a logo on that and drive it around and people would go crazy for it. Put the roof rack stuff on it and then have it be like a, the Ecto 4x4. Instead of Ecto One, you know, and have a cool name for it. I'm yeah, putting this out in the, the world because I'll never be able to afford it. But you know, no, I'm saying now else. since the Ghostbusters are in New York City, what they really need is an underground, dedicated subway train. <laughs> you get like what it's was the it? The old um, who was the president that had his own? Was it? Uh, oh, I Roosevelt? forget. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You get Roosevelt's <laughs> old uh, train that's just. Uh, falling apart down there somewhere in the sewers and they soup it up and put some <laughs> caution striping on it and be like, all right, here's the Roosevelt ride. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, is there anything you want to share? Anything people should check out? Um, you want to tell people about before we sign off for the podcast this week? I don't know. It's been fun. Um, I just want to really say thank you to um, the people that have really boosted my signal over the last three years. Um, Troy Benjamin for, for no reason really started to <laughs> retweet a lot of my videos when I first started out before they were even any good. Uh, I'm not saying they're great now, but bef you know, they're when I good. was really learning and, uh, he really helped to, you know, put that out there and, and boost my signal. He mentioned my, my channel by name multiple times on, um, their podcast and, uh, that, that really meant a lot to me as, um, you know, really confirmation, you know, that I had a place here in the community as, you know, kind of been a lurker there on the message boards for a good 12 years. And to where I have no I, idea what this experience is like at all. Right. <laughs> but to just, you know, be able to, you know, express myself, put stuff out there. It's kind of a vulnerable, vulnerable position where you're like, okay, because you yeah. know how the community can really quickly tell you how wrong you are. Yeah. And, um, I've had nothing but support and it's, it's been great. Um, Austin young has also been really helpful and a good friend. Um, and not only just kind of boosting the signal for the channel, but you know, stuff behind the scenes and helping me out with some stuff. I've never met him face to face, but I consider him a friend and I yeah. uh, really appreciate how he's helped me out. And then, you know, my wife and kids for, for putting up with the whole 
uh, <laughs> production and letting me go to my room and make a video for my internet friends and uh, you know watching the 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 uh, subscriber count go up to we're right below two thousand right now, which I consider amazing. Uh, I never thought I'd ever get above one thousand, and I'm pushing two. So, um, but I've been pretty, uh, pretty slow to put out videos this summer. I've been doing a lot of stuff with my kids. My oldest is learning how to drive and my, my youngest just is moving out of elementary into middle school. So I really want to spend a lot of time with him. Yeah. So I haven't really had the video production fired up full scale this summer, but hopefully once school starts again and I've got a little bit of a, a quieter house and more opportunity to spend some time by myself yeah. in thought and with busy hands, I might be able to put some more stuff there on the channel, but I don't want to guarantee like a weekly thing like you undertake. I've tried it before and it's just not something that works for me. So I try not to <laughs> it's force okay. it. Everyone thinks I'm insane doing this. Well, <laughs> I've learned that, you know, I, I get stressed out and, and anxious when I try to force it. And so I kind of yeah. let the topics and the ideas come to me and then I have more passion for it when I do put it out there. So it'll be on the channel. If you haven't subscribed, it's the proton pack is not a toy on YouTube. Um, at the proton pack is not a toy on Instagram. That's all one word. There is another user on Instagram that likes to show off his very awesome collection that has the same name, but it has a period after each word. So follow him as well. I don't know who he is, but he's got a really cool <laughs> screen name. And he's got some, some people would have been like, I got to delineate between myself and this other person has the same name. You're like, I will but follow him, too, because he's cool, too. I love I'm, it. I don't know who he is, but I've seen some of his toys and I'm jealous. So, you know, not trying to uh, separate too far from that person, but just know that mine is the one that doesn't have the, the periods in the name. And when I usually put up a video, then I will put up a link for it on Instagram. Uh, as a story and as a post. So if you're not following me on YouTube, which you can, um, then Instagram is a good place for that. I've kind of backed off of Twitter. I still have an account there, but I really don't check it. And uh, yeah, it was just too I much to be on three really different platforms and trying to cross post to all of them. So I'm kind of just focusing on the two right now. So Instagram will I have some... It'll have some stuff that's like teasers and pictures from stuff that won't be on the channel for a little bit when I'm kind of doing work in progress things. Um, so there's value in following that, not just for links when the when the videos do come out. So, but that's pretty much it. I'm gonna encourage everybody to go and follow your accounts. Remember, everybody, it's the Proton Pack is not a toy. Uh, Matt, you've been a fantastic guest. It's been a fun conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Um, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Man, I would Thanks love again. to come back. I've had a lot of fun. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. <laughs> Don't worry. That's why there's a robe program. Right, yeah. <laughs> now I'll... you just got to come back and get your card punched. Yeah. And then I'm... we get to all tell Austin about how much work he has to do. So I'll work up fine. some measurements for him. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Matt. Take care. All right. Appreciate it. That about wraps things up for Extraplasm this week. I want to say thank you again to Matt Swain for coming on the podcast and getting to know us a little bit better. I want to encourage you to go check out his content over on YouTube. Go check out the channel called The Proton Pack is Not a Toy and take a look at his videos. As he mentioned, he hasn't put one out in the most, the very recently, but there's at least a couple that are from a couple months ago. 
Uh, and you should be seeing what he's coming out with as we as he kind of like ramp up to the next movie, because, uh, you know, as he was talking about, he's coming off the summer and taking care of his kids and he expects to kind of get back to production uh, as we get back into fall. So keep your eyes open for more content from Matt. And of course, take a look at what he's got in his back catalog, especially if you're somebody who wants to do some modifications to a HasLab pack or a spirit pack. Uh, beyond that, I want to say thank you as always to uh, Brendan Pierce of Baducci Studios, who provides our logo. And of course, to Magnavox, the vaporwave artist whose version of Ghostbusters serves as our theme song every week. And of course, I want to say thank you to you uh, for listening to the podcast, because if you don't listen to it, then it doesn't have a lot of purpose. So um, thank you for listening each week. Thank you for also for getting in touch and like sharing your insights and like your feedback on the podcast. I really do appreciate that. Um, you know, somebody said to me recently who was reaching out, I never really want to bother you. And I'm like, Extraplasm on Instagram and Extraplasm on Twitter X, whatever it's called, uh, exists so people come and talk to me and it's never a bother. Um, so if you have something you want to share with the podcast, you have something you want to comment on, by all means, reach out. You can always reach me via email also at extraplasmpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to do anything to support the show, of course, you can always leave positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, wherever it is that you're getting the show. Um, but beyond that, I want to say thanks again for listening. Thank you to everybody for uh, coming on the show. Um, we're almost at episode 46, so we're going to see what I might have in store that uh, <laughs> whatever that big celebration is going to be. But honestly, I still have no idea, but we'll find out in a few weeks. Until then, as Ernie Hudson reminds us every week, try to have fun and always keep on busting. Take care. <laughs>